evolutionary twist as to why breakups affect men and women differently. Men apparently never, never, he said never, get over the pain of a breakup. Women do move on, uh, heal a little more quickly, he said. Uh, We also spoke to Reverend Jeffrey Brown, who was part of the Boston Miracle, that period of time in the 90s when crime decreased significantly in Boston. And he talked about what he's doing now to help other big cities to reduce gang violence. Top of Mind is a production of BYU Radio. Marcus Smith is our general manager. Don Shaline is our station manager. Brandon Bishop and Cole Weisinger engineer the program. Tenery Taylor produces the show with help from Kim Anderson, Emma Hancock, Aaron Meeks, Esther Rady, and Jacob Wisner. We're online at byuradio.org slash top of mind. I'm Julie Rose. We'll talk soon. This has been a repeat broadcast of Top of Mind recorded previously. I believe there's a strain of goodness running through the songs of each decade, each style that comes along. Join Ron Simpson on the Tantera Hour, where he shares all types of good music. As we've explored the music of all styles and all decades, I've just realized I've probably neglected the pop music of the 90s. And Ron will also introduce you to some music you've never heard of. Then to finish off today, there's a kind of a party song called... Hey, hard to earn. The Tantara Hour, weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. When you walk around as elite performers, do you hear and see the world a bit differently? Dean Duncan brings you engaging and culturally expansive conversations about film, books, art, and pretty much everything else. TV and movies, and this has been quite a while now, may have displaced the theater in terms of being central. Is that fair to say? It is fair to say. Tune into This Will Take a While at 4 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Talk about good. Tune in to the Kim Power Stilson Show. For people listening uh, across the nation, we are here in our studios on Brigham Young University campus, uh, nicely settled in the Rocky Mountains. For fantastic interviews and a great host. This is why I like being on the show with you, Kim, because (laughs) you're too kind. The Kim Power Stilson Show, weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Looking for a musical adventure? Whether you want a didgeridoo playing folk singer from the Australian Outback or a tabernacle organist playing a Bach fugue, you'll find it all and everything in between on Highway 89, BYU Radio's live performance show. Every episode is waiting for you online, on demand, at byuradio.org slash highway89. Happy exploring. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. First a bulletin of World News. Hello, I'm Sue Montgomery with the BBC News. Egypt's president has pardoned two Al Jazeera journalists convicted for allegedly broadcasting false news. Mohammed Fahmi and Bahar Mohammed are among dozens of prisoners that President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi pardoned. Alan Johnston reports. Marking the Eid al-Adha religious holiday, President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi issued a pardon freeing a hundred prisoners, among them the two Al Jazeera men, Mohammed Fahmi and Baha Mohammed. Their colleague, Peter Grester, an Australian, was released some months ago. From the start, the allegations that through their reporting they'd been aiding terrorism were widely regarded as absurd. Their case sparked a worldwide press freedom campaign, and as it played out, Egypt's reputation suffered great damage. 
The European Commission has warned that 19 EU member states, including France and Germany, face action for failing to implement rules on handling asylum seekers. Speaking ahead of an EU summit in Brussels, the Commission Vice President, Franz Timmermans, said it was about time that member states did what they need to do. Our common European asylum system can only work if everyone plays by the rules. This is why we are taking action today to ensure member states actually comply with what they had agreed to do. I'm sorry to say that until now only five member states have properly transposed and implemented the asylum legislation. The Dublin system must work correctly by being applied correctly by everyone. Germany's transport minister Alexander Dobrindt has strongly denied accusations that he had prior knowledge of the German carmaker Volkswagen deliberately cheating on emissions tests. He said the allegations were false and inappropriate. Volkswagen's directors are holding crisis talks today to consider whether the company's chief executive Martin Winterkorn should be replaced. Martin Winterkorn is fighting to save his job. Despite a humble televised apology issued on Tuesday, speculation is mounting that he will be forced to step down. Senior directors of the company will meet today to discuss the situation. Meanwhile, Germany's transport minister, Alexander Dobrindt, has denied claims his government knew about the illegal software fitted to some Volkswagen diesel cars in order to rig emissions tests. It's emerged, however, that officials did issue a statement in July acknowledging that there was a gap between emissions recorded in testing and those detected while driving on the road. The new coalition government of the Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras has been sworn in. Mr Tsipras began a second term on Monday after his left-wing Syriza party took the largest share of the vote in a snap general election. The new government's biggest task will be implementing the conditions of the country's latest debt bailout agreement. World News from the BBC. The interim president of Burkina Faso, Michel Cafando, who was taken hostage in a coup last week, says he's back in power. Earlier, West African leaders arrived in Burkina Faso to witness the reinstatement of Mr. Cafando. Maud Julien reports from Burkina Faso's capital, Ouagadougou. The coup leader, General Gilbert Diendere, greeted the West African leaders alone at the airport this morning. He has agreed to hand power back to the civilian interim president, Michel Cafondo, today. But his troops still control several key positions, including the national television and the presidential palace. The elite presidential guard that's been described as an army within the army arrested the country's president and prime minister after a commission suggested that their military units should be dismantled. France says Egypt has agreed to buy two warships whose planned sale to Russia was cancelled over the Ukraine crisis. A statement from the French presidency confirmed the agreement, though no price was given. It comes nearly six weeks after France and Russia reached an agreement to fully reimburse Moscow for the scrapped $1.3 billion deal. The latest manufacturing figures from China show that factory output in September shrank at its fastest pace since 2009. The closely watched monthly survey has compounded fears about the health of the world's second largest economy. The legendary American baseball player Lawrence Yogi Berra has died. He was 90. Considered one of the best catchers in baseball history, Berra signed with the New York Yankees in 1942 and led the the team to a string of victories. Yogi connects, and it's another homer over the right center wall. It's 10 runs batted in for Yogi. 
Alongside his prowess on the pitch, Barra was also known for his humorous sayings. They included "It ain't over till it's over," and half the lies they tell about me aren't true. BBC News. You're listening to the BBC World Service, coming to you live from London. Hello, I'm Razia Iqbal. This is News Hour. Coming up later in today's program, we'll remember the life of Lawrence Yogi Berra, one of the greatest baseball players ever, on and off the pitch. But first, in the last hour or so, President Abdel Fattah Al Sisi of Egypt has issued a pardon, freeing a hundred prisoners, among them the two Al Jazeera journalists, Mohammed Fahmi and Bahar Mohammed. Their colleague Peter Grester, an Australian, was released some months ago. From the start, the allegations that through their reporting they'd been aiding terrorism were widely regarded as absurd, and the case sparked an international press freedom campaign as it played out Egypt's reputation, suffering great damage. Let's speak to Alan Johnston first.、Um, Alan, let's just go right back to the beginning. When when were they arrested, and and what were the the allegations? Pretty serious ones. Well, this began on December the thirteenth, way back in twenty thirteen, well over a year and a half ago, when、uh, Egyptian police burst into the room of Peter Grester, the Australian correspondent serving in Cairo for Al Jazeera at the time, and arrested him and his two colleagues. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at one eight five five Chat BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Doctor Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Another day, but the Pope's in town. What a great guy! Yeah. Did you watch any of that last night? I did. I love him. Yeah, he seems like a great man. He's just got an incredible spirit. You can just see it in his face. He's just a happy guy. And I love that he drives around in a little Fiat. Oh, you know what? Fiat sales are going to go through the roof. <laughs> I know. Wasn't that great? Yeah. We're used to seeing these guys in these huge limousines、mm-hmm. and all of this protection. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like the Fiat's a really safe car for the Pope to be in. No. What if it's bulletproof? I doubt it. You heard that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they could just well. Tip that's it what I love and... about him. You see, he comes across anyway as very humble, right? And he doesn't need the big limousine. No. So that's always nice he's to the、see. green pope,、mm-hmm. right? So that's very much cost effective. He's also the pope of the people. He's、mm-hmm. he's a、uh, um, Franciscan. So he's of which is why he's Pope Francis. He was named after Francis of Assisi. Which was the Pope that loved animals and、mm-hmm. nature and、mm-hmm. got back to nature, right? But he's just—he's a guy that'll just go out to the people. Yeah, he wants to just be with the people, and he lights up when he sees their face. It's amazing.、But、I think that's why the Secret Service is so nervous because、oh, he does get out there. Can you imagine how, that kind of security you're going to have to have? <laughs> all kinds of places. Oh, it's so funny,、yeah. and how that was really a cool moment to see. I mean, it's got to be a magical moment. When you're Barack Obama, President Obama, and you get to present your daughters to the Pope,、yeah. and then your mother-in-law, yeah, like how cool is that's that? That's great. Here's my mother-in-law <laughs> and my wife. Pope, mother-in-law, mother-in-law. You forgot the Pope, wife, Pope but、Francis. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, she was there. Yeah, she liked it too. <laughs> but it, to me, how cool! Like, I'd look at my mother-in-law and say, "Yeah, I'm pretty bad.、Mm-hmm. This is the Pope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Pope brought to you by your son-in-law. That's amazing." He really, and you know what? To all the Catholics out there, holy cow! What a beautiful moment for all of them.、Mm-hmm. Their great leader is yeah, here, yeah, and a world leader for all of us, really. Man, it's fun. It's fun to see 
somebody who's just so good, doing so much good, and then then all of a sudden he's in Washington. This is like the ultimate irony. Right. Oh, isn't it though? It was so much bad going on in the world. It is nice to have some peace. Yeah. Or to seem, seeming peace. And they always have to say like, okay, you guys, so when you meet the Pope today, don't touch the Pope. <laughs> you don't. That's if I. Yeah, Keep your do hands not, off the Do pope. not touch his holiness, is what they said. Don't kiss his ring. Don't kiss his ring. Don't try to. Don't. No, no handshakes. Fist bumps, no handshakes. Yeah, no don't selfies. Don't try to make a conversation. Just let him go. Like, isn't that just pitiful? Yeah. It's like he's. It's like he's not going to Congress. He's going to like a, a junior high. <laughs> exactly. Can you guys don't touch the pope. Don't drool. Don't <laughs> watch you your know. wash yeah. your hands before you touch the pope. By the way, how are you feeling today? I'm not. Ah, not great. Yeah. Because I. There's certain days I have to just speak. Mm, so last yeah. night I have classes I teach. So I was teaching till 10. Oh. And you were in early this morning. You beat me. I, I was in early. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know why? I saw your car and I thought, uh-oh. I got four hours of sleep. Oh. But I it's because it. I, I, I That's can't. That's why you're sick. I'm coughing. Yep. I can't you stop coughing. Sleep. And I take all this cough medicine. Mm-hmm. I take so much cough medicine that I cough tussin. <laughs> Have you ever coughed Tussin? I never have. It ain't pretty. <laughs> it ain't pretty. Oh, but I'm having fun. It's Good. fun. Yeah. Did you hear Yogi Berra died? Yes, I'm going to talk about that. Oh, sorry. He's Not to steal your friend. No, I love that's him. that's at the end, so we're good. Let me give you some of his quotes. No, don't steal some of mine. Okay, I won't. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the top ones. And okay, I'll take... okay, then you're going to take them. This is what he said. A nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. <laughs> no, I haven't heard that one. Good. Okay. A lot, of his, a lot of his quotes are, it almost seems like a senile old man said it. You know, a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. Um, he hits from both sides of the plate. He's amphibious. He said, I don't think that's what amphibious means. I don't think it means you're a switch hitter. You tell me, Michael <laughs> no, Pond. So, yeah. Michael Pond filling in for Beneth Wasdeneth. Thank you, Matt. Glad to be here. You're here early. That was amazing, too. I know. I, I finally got, uh, you know, thank you for that recommendation to, to my parole officer. Really you know what? Seriously. He's... Well, he, he wants the best for you. Well, and, you know, they had a tracking bracelet thing on both legs, and now it's just one, you know, just in case. You know, I'm glad that it's on the one because you used to clack, you, you like clickety-clack, clickety-clack yeah, when you walk. Yeah, they would hit each other yeah. when I walked, and it was just it You was might awkward. also want to spread your stance a bit. Yeah, because, like a cowboy? Yeah. Uh, what do we call that? Man. Bow-legged? Uh, we had a name for that the other day. You did? Man. You know, when men sit, and if you sit, man spread. Oh, that's right. Manspread. So if you sit and your knees are like too far apart and you're encroaching on someone else's space, space, that's called manspread. Yeah, yeah. You need to you need to walk with a wider stance. All right. Here's another one. All pitchers are liars and or crybabies. That's totally true. Hmm. Yogi Berra. He was a catcher, so I guess you could say that. One of the best catchers they say ever. Uh, Yeah. Do you know who they say is number one? Um, Yeah. From my favorite Cincinnati Reds, right? What was his Johnny Johnny Bench? Bench. Oh, I loved him. Johnny Bench. I played Johnny. I was Johnny Bench as a little kid. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I used to have a Cincinnati Reds hat, helmet, plastic helmet. Not a helmet. I had like a batting helmet. Yeah, I loved Cincinnati Reds. I thought for a while I was Johnny Bench. Mm. I also thought for a while I was married to Farah. (laughs) I had a very vivid imagination. (laughs) It was really hard to grow up. So, uh, in fact, later in the show, you got to come listen to that. Later in the show, we're going to talk about uh, adolescence and the, how kids go from this stage of kind of being a child mm-hmm. to a teen. And that adolescent stage, they really they lose their mind, right? Because they're no longer a kid. Well, the brain. When does the brain fully develop on a twenty five on, on a man? Is it the same for a female? I think I think so. But okay. but for Mike, it's what, how old are you now, Mike? I'm twenty five. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so just I'm barely there. starting. So it's okay, almost good. downhill. It's almost. 
He's almost there. Yeah, now you're going to join us here soon. Uh (laughs) But these kids go through a crazy stage. So next hour, we'll be talking about adolescence because they have to lose their childhood Mm -hmm. and all their fun stuff. And... And and they'll you know they'll eventually get to grow out of it and find mm-hmm. a new life. Yeah. So we'll get into that because that's huge. But okay. Did you hear Hillary's words on um, Keystone? No. Well, that oh, too. Okay. Oh my word! It took her that long to come out against I know, Keystone. I know. I mean, she had to weigh the polls. Absolutely. Oh, it drives yeah. me crazy. That's but, all of them. And she's coming out against big pharmaceutical, right. and I get it. Uh-huh. I get it. Uh huh. But uh, today, we're, in a few minutes, we're going to be talking with Brad Bangerter, who's, who's uh, been starting – he started a company called Lowest Med, and he's trying to save people money on their pharmaceuticals. Oh, we'll talk good. to him. But we're going to pick his brain on what is the big deal. Right. Like why does it cost so much to get these drugs? Well, I think it's because they have to invest so much into yeah. creating them, right? And a right. lot of them don't come to market. Well, so and there's a they're huge, trying to make their money back. There's a huge backup at the FDA. Right. So when I hear a politician tell me we need to we need to start controlling this more and the FDA can't even stay up with what they've got. Right. I think, "Oh, great. That's going to be great. Oh. Turn it over to the government to Slow everything down? Yeah. Oh, that'll be a good interview. Uh, I look forward to that. Drives me crazy. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get to that with Brad Bangerter in just a minute. But first, let's get to the headlines with Kathy Aiken. Well, Pope Francis arrived in Washington, D.C. yesterday afternoon, the first leg of his first ever visit to the U.S. He's scheduled to deliver his first message to the United States this morning on the White House lawn in front of President Obama and as many as 15,000 guests. Over the next two days, the Pope will lead a mass and address a joint session of Congress. He'll then visit New York, where he'll speak at the 9-11 Memorial then to Philadelphia, where he'll conduct a mass at the World Meeting of Families. Hillary Clinton finally shared her stance on the Keystone XL pipeline yesterday. She said she's against it because the focus should be more on climate change. Speaking of Clinton, the FBI has reportedly recovered emails from her private email server she said had been deleted. It's not clear how many emails have been salvaged, the FBI looking into the storage and handling of classified information on that server. The pharmaceutical boss under intense fire for raising the price of a life-saving drug 5,000 percent said he will lower the cost of the drug Daraprim. Martin Scarelli didn't say what the new price would be, but admitted that the decision to lower the cost was due to outrage over the increase from $13.50 a pill to $750 a pill. The company that owns the drug is Turing Pharmaceuticals out of New York. And Matt, as we talked about, Yogi Berra died yesterday. The former New York Yankee Hall of Fame catcher won 10 World Series titles, made 15 straight All-Star games, and won three MVP awards in his 18 years with the Yankees. He was elected into the Hall of Fame in 1970. And was and his number eight was retired that same year. He managed the Yankees and the Mets, and in 1999 was selected to baseball's All Century team. Yeah, he once caught this is crazy. He once caught an entire 22 inning seven hour game. <laughs> Back in 1962, my knees hurt just thinking oh, yeah. about that. He also served in the Navy during World War II, where yeah. he served as a gunner's mate during the D-Day invasion of France. Barrow was famous for some of the great quotes, like "It ain't over till it's over." It's deja vu all over again, and baseball is 90% mental. The other half is physical. (laughs) One of the funnier things I thought he said was, you should always go to other people's funerals. Otherwise, they won't come to yours. (laughs) (laughs) That is – don't you love him? I love that. He had a great sense of humor. That's like how my brain works. I have a Yogi Berra brain. Yeah. Because half of what he says, you're like, that's dumb. I usually take a (laughs) two-hour nap, he said, from one to four. 
And then what was the one about pizza? Only cut my pizza in four slices because I'm not hungry enough to eat six. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and it was great. interesting that he died yesterday, and that was the same day as his Major League Baseball debut 69 years ago. And do you oh know what God. his real name was? So not Yogi Berra. Um, his full name. His Smokey name. Berra. Lawrence Peter Berra. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, great. Yeah. What a great guy, I too. I know. I mean, honestly, what a great Man. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, he came back to the Yankees and got fired, I think it was 16 games into the season by George Steinbrenner. Do you remember man- him managing? I remember that. Yeah. Well, he did not. Co- he would not come back to the New York Yankees Stadium for years until George Steinbrenner apologized. Really? Yeah. It was years. When was that? Do you remember? Uh, it was in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I think it was the 80s. I don't oh, remember what year. Just a small, but short little man. How many times George Steinbrenner mm-hmm. fire and bring back, was it Martin? What was his last name? Uh, Billy name? Martin. Billy Martin. Do you remember Billy Martin? Oh, yeah. He was, how many he was times was he manager? Cracker. You're in, you're out, you're yeah. in. He was yeah. everywhere. That was crazy. Cool story. Yogi Berra, may he rest in peace. Um, <coughs> excuse me. A little tuberculosis coming up on the radio. Hey, we got a great guest coming up uh, with Hillary Clinton. She's now coming out with a brand new plan to, to save us on, you know, our pharmaceutical costs. It's a big deal. You've probably noticed prices going up, and uh, especially on the generic medicine. We're going to be talking with Brad Bangerter in just a few moments. He is trying to uh, do what he can. He's the founder and president of Lowest Med, but he's he's here to help us understand what's going on behind the scenes and uh, how we might be able to to plan better, to, to pay better attention, maybe fix some of our own pharmaceutical needs. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you gone to the pharmacy lately and noticed that your uh, cost of your medicine's going up? Just your generics. Like you're, you're trying to save money by going with the, the no-name brand. And the next thing you know, they're out of control. Are you paying hundreds of dollars? I mean, if you're a senior citizen, this could get crazy just with all the meds you have to, to, to take to use to take care of yourself. And if you're on Medicare and you have other uh, restrictions, this could be getting out of hand. Well, it's a real problem. It's such a problem that uh, Hillary Clinton has now unveiled a plan to lower prescription drug costs. And as I think about it, I don't know, just hearing her explain it, I think, oh, do we really want the federal government to be deeply embedded into the pharmaceutical world? And and and. In fact, she made a comment about how much they should be able to charge and who should charge, you know, and how long they should be able to make profit on on their drug before they can kind of other people can start no name or uh, yeah, copying it and, and using the formula. So we wanted to bring in an expert today that could help us. And joining us uh, in studio with us today is Brad Bangerter. And Brad uh, has 30 years of experience developing and managing healthcare system related products he also is now um, the creator and um, founder of LowestMed.com, which is a website and an app you can use to find the lowest drug prices and, uh, and I guess, buy them online. Brad Bangerter, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Talk to us about 
this whole situation with prescription drug costs. Why, why are they going up now? Why now? Well, you're absolutely right. Prescription drugs are expensive and many consumers are, are paying too much. So uh, what consumers are really feeling now is the price increases primarily because more and more of us are now on high deductible health plans okay. where we have to pay the money out of our own pocket right. before the insurance company yeah. kicks in. That, okay. So the great blessing of being on the, health, the new health care programs that we have, we now have higher deductibles. So – the insurance companies are passing on a lot of the cost to us. To right. us, right? Hmm. It, it makes us become more responsible consumers. And the unfortunate thing is, many people are paying more than they need to for the prescription drugs. Yeah. You know, a, a poll this summer found that seventy-two percent of Americans think the cost of prescription drugs are unreasonable. Right. Well, that's that's true. They are. They're high, and the prices, as you mentioned, are going up. Uh, the average consumer spends about five hundred and seventy dollars a year out of their own pocket. Yeah. But again, there are ways that people can save, and we need to educate consumers on how they can do that. Well, apparently, they go to Canada and Mexico. That is, it, which is illegal, right? I mean, you can't just go to another country to buy your meds and bring them back. Isn't that against the law? I'm not sure if it's against the law or not. I know a lot of consumers do that. Do that. I mean, I hear about that, especially these seniors that have to go get the, their their necessary meds. They go to Canada. Yeah, and and there's no need to do yeah. that, you know. And and there are some dangers in in purchasing drugs from other countries and so forth. So right. especially because you don't know the language. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were in Mexico, and I'm like, wow, you can buy that over the counter. There's like drugs that you can't get in the United States. And I'm thinking, man, if everybody knew that, yeah. they'd be coming here right away. What, uh, what do you think about this? Um, the, the whole thing kind of hit, hit the fan, I guess, when the, the Turing Pharmaceutical Company had a, had a drug that um, is $13.50 a tablet. It's for cancer. It's for AIDS patients. And they, they marked the price up. What, like 5,000% to $750 a pill? Right. Well, I, I think it's right that uh, Americans are outraged at, at yeah. things like that. And, you know, it's unfortunate that any drug would cost that much. For a person with cancer having to pay hundreds of oh. thousands of dollars is just ridiculous. But again, um, there are things people can do to get these drugs for no or low cost. Yeah. And it's, I guess, some of this is. You, like you have to kind of be in the know, and I know you've got some solutions you'll be teaching us. My my mother, for example, is on um, a, a pill that it would it like cost it would cost her I don't know fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars a month, I think. Mm-hmm. But because she's with a doctor that is in a trial program, he can get her in the trial and basically for free. Right. right. So, but he's like the only doctor in our area that does that. So if she hadn't been informed by someone else and if, if he this guy wasn't looking for people to be in his trial, then he never she never could have gotten that for free. Right. There are other ways that people can get their prescriptions at no cost. Um, there are what's called advocacy programs and these advocates will go to first the pharmaceutical corporation, for example, and see if they can get those uh, medications covered at no expense. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll do that. For example, Turing, the CEO of Turing said, yes, it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, but about half of the patients out there, we will cover them for, for no cost. I know. I heard that for free. Yeah, right. But it's interesting too because if if you would just cover – them all for $20. Right. 
then Maybe you wouldn't a better have solution. to do it. That's right. Exactly. But these advocacy programs are available not only for that drug but for many other drugs yeah. also. We, we know people that are paying like $2,500 a month. Well, that's not hundreds of thousands like the cancer patients, right. but that's for diabetes. Yeah, and, which is constant forever, right, chronic. Right. And uh, we've seen those people paying $2,500. We can help them get those for $50. Is this why you got into your new business, Brad? I mean, it, how did you – fall into going from healthcare and and uh, some of the other pursuits you've had into saying we got to get on this drug thing. Well, it's actually a personal story. So, um I've been in healthcare all my career, thought I knew all the contracts and intricacies of what goes on behind the scenes. And so when we first got on a high deductible health plan, my wife asked me the experienced healthcare executive <laughs> how much her prescription drug was going to cost, and I was embarrassed. I didn't know. Unbelievable. So she's a savvy consumer yeah. and she went out and she started chopping around. First thing she finds out is, you know, pharmacies generally don't tell you the price of your right. insurance right. over the phone. You have to go in and fill the drug. Then they tell you how much it costs. Yeah. So she goes from pharmacy to pharmacy finding her drug was around $200 and then 150 Finally, she finds it for $5. And she came back and challenged me and said, look, I'm a savvy shopper and you're a healthcare executive and we don't know that this kind of disparity happens. Come on, Brad. How does anybody else stand a chance? And so we developed so Lowest true. Med. So, so Lowest Med is a website that you do what? How does it work? Yeah. The way it works is you go to lowestmed.com, L-O-W-E-S-T dot um, med, M-E-D dot com. Yeah. And then you just simply put in the name of your medication and we will present to you the generic equivalent of that medication because that's generally cheaper. Yeah. And we'll show you exactly how much that medication costs at all your local pharmacies so you don't have to Locally order. Locally in your area. Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, right around your GPS location. That's wonderful. Um, it's uh, by your zip code on the website or your GPS location on the app. And we'll show you the prices at all the pharmacies uh, around you. And we include all the pharmacies throughout the nation, the major drug chains, the grocery store chains, the independent pharmacies. And Is, so do you see a difference, a, a big disparity between like the five local stores around me and the price of the same drug? Yes. That's absolutely. crazy. I know. And, and so we want people to know it does make a difference. So consumers shop for everything, oh, right? yeah. for the deals yeah. on gasoline, oh, right. on groceries, on technology and everything else. But on prescription drugs, sometimes they just blindly go into the pharmacy and t- pay what they're told to. Yeah. They can make educated decisions by looking up the prices of pharmacies all around them, seeing which one has the best price, and then also using different methods to pay for it. Most of us just go in and blindly put down our insurance card. We assume that's going to be the best deal. Well, in the case of my wife, that would have been $200. But you know, using a discount card, she was able to get up for five dollars. So you can so interesting. So you yeah. you have to compare what's my insurance cost, what's this discount card cost, what's the price at this pharmacy uh-huh. versus that pharmacy. There's lots of ways. And to sometimes save. they'll just give you a, a like, uh, we've gone in for a prescription and we're like, what? It's how much? And they're like, oh yeah, we have this coupon if you want to use the coupon. Right. And I'm like, well, okay, yeah, let's do that. Exactly. <laughs> Why and wouldn't it, you do that? That, that's right. So there are, there are coupons and discount cards that are available to consumers. And, yeah. we, and we advise people, check out the prices with these coupons and with the discount cards. Compare it to your insurance. And if you're on a high deductible health plan, especially where that money's coming out of your own pocket, right. pay whichever one is less. That's right. Obviously. I always, I always love how my um, old insurance used to say, yeah, you, you, you only have to pay like the first $1,000. <laughs> right. Of your of your pharmaceuticals, and I'm like, man, yeah. well, that's like three years worth. Yeah. So you only have to pay the first 
every year you're never going to meet your deductible. So I'm thinking, oh, man, right. why am I doing this? Why right. am I doing this? And so you're saying more and more people are now facing that just simply because of the higher deductibles. Right. More and more people are. There's still many people who don't have any insurance, of course, so they need to shop around as well. So so we, we tell consumers do just like you do when you're buying an airline ticket, for example. Yeah. You go to the website. You go to Travelocity. You go to Kayak, whatever. You look up the prices. You get a good deal. Why not do the same thing on prescription drugs? Oh, yeah. Go look online. Go to LoisMed.com. See what the prices are at your local pharmacies. Choose where you're going to go and then compare your insurance and your discount card options and pay for the lowest They price. must not like you. Uh, well, I mean the ones – I mean because now all of a sudden you're informing everybody. Well, because the rest well, of us right. didn't have that information, short of calling everywhere. Yeah, but you know, the the reality is, we're driving patients to those pharmacies That's exactly that right. want to be competitive. Well, and I, what I love about it too is that um, you you also can kind of get a feel for your pharmacy, right? Like, what's their mentality? Is this a big profit thing? And is it? I mean, there's some drugs I would assume that they do mark up. They can right. mark up. They sh- they are marking up. And then there's others that. There's no need to mark up. Like, like a diabetic drug, people just need. And right. it's permanent. And it's this is going to be chronic forever. Let's take care of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get charging a little more for a cancer drug. I get it. But make it free for anyone that can't pay for it. Right. Um, interesting stuff. Brad Bangader is joining us. And uh, he's from LoisMed.com. We're going to take a break, come back, and learn more about what we can be doing to make sure that our costs are lower. And make sure we're getting the right the right deal, right, for us. You know, or we just turn it over to the government. They'll be fine. They'll do it. Honestly, we can do this. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Brad, uh, Brad Bangerter, who is the creator of the website LoisMed.com. His goal, his mission, the company's purpose is to help you figure out where are the lowest, where you, where your prescriptions are most affordable and most uh, can be purchased at the lowest price. It's a very simple app. It's a very simple website. But he's here to help us kind of walk through this uh, this pharma war that's going on, the pharmaceutical war. And now, thank heavens, uh, Colonel uh, Clinton's in on it. She's going to go in and, and fix the pharmaceutical companies from gouging everybody is, is I guess, her plan. And which I think is great, honestly, to, to have some fix on this, except my whole argument is always the world's much more complicated than our politicians make it seem. So the cost of a pharmaceutical, a drug, is it's a lot of it's because supposedly it could take a billion dollars to get a drug to market. We had a, some really wonderful um, researchers from BYU who had created basically um, a solution that will kill MRSA, this horrible, uh, this horrible uh, bacteria that ends up like basically eating your body away, and it's a horrible superbug. They found a way to kill it 
They now would love to create a drug out of it so that they could inject it into sites of people that have MRSA in, in their system. But it's going to take 20 years and a billion dollars. And so I sit there and I think 20 years and a billion dollars. These, so that's one reason these pharmaceutical companies want to charge so much money is to recoup and to keep researching. Is that, is that true, Brad? Or are they really flushing money and loving it? Well, I, I believe there are uh, tremendous expenses in developing new drugs and, and keeping you know, current and conquering new uh, illnesses and so forth. Uh, but I think most Americans also believe that pharmaceutical companies are making too much They're profit. They're making a ton of money. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that's, that's a secret. So you know, I think most people would be OK if uh, these large companies make a profit just as long as it's not unreasonable. And um, they do a lot of generous things as well. Uh, you know, they, they will help uh, with causes and yeah. with uh, charitable uh, situations as well. So, so they certainly do some good. But uh, I, I think all of us are outraged if pharmaceutical companies, pharmacies, or insurance companies yeah. make more than is really fair or reasonable. Right. At, at your health, at your death. Right. At, and, and at your expense, right? I mean, because so many people are paying on their insurance anyway and hardly using it to the degree they need to or could. There's some people that won't even get the help because they – they can't afford it or they can't afford what it will mean if they lose their insurance. That's right. In fact, there was just a, a study by Consumer Reports that showed that 40 percent of people take um, cost-cutting measures that are dangerous. They, they'll cut mm -hmm. corners like they'll, they'll split pills. They'll oh. skip uh, uh, their prescriptions, filling a medication and so forth just to try to save money. And so as a result, if they're skipping doses of their medications, what's going to happen? They're going to get more ill. Yeah. And they're going to end up back in the hospital, back in the doctor's office. And so what we're trying to do is help them better afford their medications so that their health will improve. And this is not only you know, deteriorating their health, but if the, um, the expenses become too great, this can also interfere with their relationships at oh, home and, and cause you – know, Tremendous household well, then, budget well, problems. Then, yeah, then you're fighting over money. Exactly. And you're fighting over money while you're cutting costs on your – I mean you're taking half a pill. Right. Instead of a whole pill for heart medicine or – and I know people that just quit taking it. That's right. But and, – and again, I, I guess I could sit there and, and I see we've kind of revamped the healthcare world um, and it's interesting. You change one part of the system, we fill it in another part of the system. So with these new healthcare laws and mandates and all of these people now are starting to feel uh, more responsible for their purchases, which I, I love that because now I feel it's not just my insurance company that's the pass-through that's going to take it all. I like that I'm responsible for it. What are some things that I can do as a responsible consumer to make sure I'm getting the best deals um, but I'm also smart in how I go about it? Sure. So, so there are a lot of things that you can do. For example, I think everybody knows there's $4 drug lists at Walmart and right. Target and Kroger stores. We should always make sure that we are aware if those prescription drugs are things that we need and take advantage of those. Um, like I mentioned, make sure you compare the prices and there's easy tools online and apps that will help you do this. Um, you can ask your doctor for samples. You can buy in bulk instead of getting 30-day supplies, get 90-day supplies. Yeah. What do you think about that? I mean I know one thing that's really big now is online. So if you have a consistent prescription that's going to be coming, a lot of insurance companies would love you to go 
to one of their people, their broker, I don't know who they are, one of their pharmacies online and they'll just keep sending it to you at a lower cost. Is that is that legit? Is that a, is that a, a, a proper method? Yes. Yeah. Those are mail order pharmacies. Um, as long as they're U.S. based and so forth, I think those are fine and legit. They do reduce the prices from what you might pay on insurance. But again, what I would advise uh, consumers to do is look and see how much you can get that drug for on a discount card yeah. through a retail pharmacy in your neighborhood because a lot of times they can still be less than the mail order prices. Are they really? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It, it, so it's a lot of this is just – Staying on it on your app, um, LoisMed.com. Does it does it talk about like non-local pharmacies? Does it talk about online options or other options? We don't show online options and out-of-country options. We focus on the retail pharmacies in your neighborhood. That's, that's where most people fill their prescriptions is at their local pharmacies, yeah. and so we show them all. And I like having a pharmacist that I can talk to and say, okay, so this isn't quite working for me. Mm-hmm. Is this you know what else I've noticed too is um every week I or every month every week every week I pick up my drugs <laughs> uh every month when we're getting our prescriptions filled I'm noticing every month I get a different kind of pill which is from a different vendor I'm assuming and a different it's just they're they're doing whatever they can to keep the cost low as a pharmacy too. It seems like sure, and, and to keep the drug on the shelf, right? And there's lots of different manufacturers of of certain, yeah. especially generic drugs and so forth. So, um, so they're doing what they can to to keep their costs down. And we're not necessarily advocating that people you know skip around from pharmacy yeah, to no, pharmacy. Yeah, you're you not know, if you have a relationship shopping. or you have convenience, of course that that uh, should be taken into consideration. But what we're trying to do is help people realize, okay. You have an insurance card. You have discount cards mm-hmm. options to you. Use those to your advantage. Look up the prices. Talk to your pharmacist about what those prices are that are available to you and try to get the best price at the pharmacy that you choose to go to. Do, do pharmacies price match? Sometimes they do. I mean, I'm assuming if I say I can get the same drug across the street, do I need to go over there to get it or will you just ma- meet this price? Usually on like the $4 drugs, there are pharmacies that will match those um, on – on other drugs that aren't on the $4 list, for example, they have to type in a set of codes into their computer that then brings up the price. Okay. And so that's the price they have to charge. Yeah. Um, but having the right codes is the key. And that's, those codes you'll find on your insurance card, but you'll also find on coupons and discount cards right. that you, know, you can have available to you through a website like Lois Med. And so when they type in those codes, it brings up a different price, a better price. And so the pharmacies are, are just – you know they're putting in the information as quickly as possible to get everybody served that they need to. Yeah. And depending on um, you know what codes are used, what what insurance company, what discount card, and so forth, that's what's going to generate the price. And I guess that's part of it is make sure you have your information and you take all of your information in. If you have the wrong, if you have your wrong insurance code or cards, that too could just be costing you simply because. It's not updated or not informed. Right. And the one thing that we've done to try to make it really easy is we've put a smartphone app in the hands of consumers. And this is available on iPhone as well as Android. And so people can just simply show the screen on the app at the pharmacy. And that screen has a digital discount card on it with those codes that are needed for the pharmacy to get you the best price. Oh, that's great. So they can just download the app at their normal app store on their phone. Right, and it's a free app. Yeah, um, we talked earlier, and I can't remember if we—I think we did it offline—where you would assume a Walmart would be able to pretty much 
push the prices wherever they needed to push them because they're such a big retailer or a Costco or any of these big kind of box stores. Do are do they have the best deals or two? I guess you've said earlier we could maybe still find a better deal not at a Walmart or not at these bigger places. Yeah, I mean, you know, people generally assume that Walmart and Costco have the best prices and that's true much of the time. And we show the Costco prices and the Walmart prices on our app because they they do have great prices. Yeah. But not for every medication. So individuals have to check their specific medication. It may be the best price at Costco or Walmart. It may be a better price at another pharmacy. So we're just saying check your specific medications. We'll show you the best prices that we can get for you. And then um, you can choose to go to that pharmacy or go to your regular pharmacy and still use a discount to get the best price possible at that pharmacy. Have you ever um, thought about the impact? Because the pharmacy company, their pharmaceuticals are making a lot of money. They also market a lot. And so and so there's always kind of a push and a pull for this drug. So my doctor's telling me I need it and I'm also being marketed by companies. Um, do To what degree do I want to try to influence my doctor on what med I should take versus just let my doctor tell me what med I should take? Does sure. that make sense? Because there might be various other types of drugs or names of drugs or brands of drugs that I could try – that I might be able to get more affordably. Right. I, I certainly think it's worth the patient asking the doctor. It's it's worth a conversation. First of all, you know, something like um, I've done this before. While I'm in the exam room, I looked up the price on my app. Oh, did you really? And I That's said, great. do you realize this is going to cost me $75? And he goes, oh, wow. wow. And then, you know, what? and then you can ask, is there a generic alternative? And if he says yes, then you take that you drug. Generic, you know. You you could ask, you know, is there another drug that could treat this condition that's less yeah. expensive? And and she may say, yes, there is. It's this. Why don't we try that one first? And if it doesn't work, then we'll go to the mm-hmm. the other drugs. So so yeah, there's for for example, cholesterol. There's a lot of different drugs for right. cholesterol, and the prices vary quite a bit. So you might try um, one drug. You might try simvastatin first and see how that works, and then. And you know, if you have side effects or that doesn't work, you may need you may need to go to Lipitor, which is the brand name. It's more right. expensive, but maybe it has and, less side effects yeah, or works better works. for you. And I guess too part of this is a lot of people just get on meds and then they don't they don't and you know, after many years of taking them, you haven't thought about them, you've been on them, you assume they're always working, but it might be good to even go back and review all your meds and be thinking and even with your doctor, are these having counterindications? Are these having other issues that we haven't thought through, or do could we try getting off of some of them? That's right. That, that is a good practice to to just do a review with your physician and just make sure that you know you still need all those medications and the doses are correct. Yeah. And what other alternatives are are available? So, yeah, we, we certainly um, believe that's a, a good position to take as having a, a healthy dialogue with your yeah. your physician. Well, it's funny that we're doing this with meds because I I do the same thing. If I'm buying, I'm looking to buy a car right now, and so I go on sites that are telling me how much the car that I'm looking at is overpriced or underpriced based on the market. And it's such important information because there's a car I kind of want, but I'm sitting on it and it hasn't sold because it's overpriced. Yeah. And as soon as they drop the price, I'm willing to go have it. And But if I didn't have that information, so that's really all you're bringing with LoisMed.com is just a tool to inform. Yeah. 
to inform and empower the consumers to get the the best prices yeah. possible. And you know, it just boggles our mind at how much you know we're conditioned to look for prices on technology, oh, yeah. automobiles, gasoline. We're all concerned about movie saving. tickets. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're accustomed to looking for the best prices for other goods. But for some reason, I think we've been conditioned that when you have a prescription drug, you just pull out your it insurance card. That's right. You put it down. They fill the drug. They yeah. tell you the price. You kind of have sticker shock. Yeah. And you go home depressed about yeah. the cost of the drug. Well, you know, we need to use the same mentality we do with other That's drugs. That's right. Well, and especially because it's in the market, right? This is a market. So if you'll push back on the market and if you'll use tools like lowest Med or other tools – then the market will start correcting itself. Right. I mean, this drug can only be charging $750 a pill simply because there's not a lot of pushback on the market until it got public. Right. And now that it's public, he's like, yeah, we're going to drop those prices. Right. Or half the people aren't even – they're pay- getting it for free. Well, yeah. that's good to know. Yeah. I, I think you know many consumers simply don't know that prices vary. Yeah. And they just assume it's a prescription drug. It surely must be regulated on the price, right? So we just have this false <laughs> assumption. And so we don't do the shopping that yeah. we do with other goods. I wonder, if, too, if it's the authority of the doctor. Mm-hmm. The doctor said I need it. Right. So I've got to have it. Sure. There you have it. Yeah. Even if the, there's a cheaper pill across the street, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm just going to take it. It's like when your doctor says, yeah, you need a colonoscopy. You go do it. You might not go shopping your <laughs> colonoscopy, but... I mean, that's, I guess, it. We, we pay a lot of respect without thinking. Right. But we also, you need to remember a lot of times you're walking into a big box store. Right. You're walking into a big company that makes a lot of money on this. Right. Well, you know, and I think another thing is um, we, we all kind of came up through the, the old healthcare system where you had a copayment, say, right. $5 yeah, or not $10 a big deal. per drug. Right. You didn't even care. So you just went in, you paid your $5, you paid your $10. Well, the world has changed. Yeah. You're, you're having to pay more money out of your own pocket now to get those medications. And so we can't just be you know, a conditioned zombie to That's go in true. there and say, here's my insurance card, give me the drug, pay whatever is possible. You have to make an informed decision. Oh, that's so true. Man, Brad Bangeter, good stuff. Again, the website, lowestmed.com, and go on the app store or any of your app stores and go find the app for Lowest Med. Yes. And then get it on your phone and take it to your doctor and take it everywhere you go to buy your meds. It doesn't work with drug dealers on the street, though. Let's be clear. (laughs) That's correct. Good. It's a different kind of prescription drugs. Lowest med. Lowest prescription med. Uh, Lowestmed.com. Brad, thanks for being here. Thank you. Great insight. Appreciate you being here. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back and uh, do a little Coach's Corner. This is good learning, huh? I mean, really, this is your life. This is your health. Own it. Own it. And get as much help as you can along the way. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Isn't that amazing? We got a healthcare, you know, crisis in a way. An aging population. They're going to be on more and more pharmaceuticals. Costs are going up. 
there's going to be solutions, and you're going to hear a lot of the politicians talking about it. And I, I'm actually excited that they're talking about it. I think it's great. And we need to make sure we don't pretend like it's just a simple answer. There's still a market economy going on here where these companies have to pay a lot of money to get to get the drug through, right? And that part of that is already because of the the protective measures created by the government. We're trying to create healthy drugs. So, you know, the FDA is really tight in in watching and paying attention to the process that we use to to identify if a drug's good or not, strong or not, if it works or not. Now, the minute you inject more federal programming, management, you know, regulations on the process, you're going to alter the system. Not saying it doesn't need to be done. Does Something needs to be done. But there's also some pretty cool business examples like we just heard. Lois Med is just a way to go find out what's happening in on the drugs you're using. Sounds like a big commercial, but honestly, to me, it's cool to have a company that's that's doing something for you and uh, getting you the best deal you can in your neighborhood. So, government, great. You know, business is also great. They're you know, companies are making money providing these these changes, and they need to make some margin if they want to continue to provide answers and solutions. So. We can figure it out. We can figure it out. Man, it, when you think about it too, our tendency as humans is to simplify it. And one of the things I'm – I woke up really early this morning. God, it was horrible because I just so needed to sleep. But at 4 o'clock, I'm up and at them and my brain's on. And once my brain's on, I got to be on. Can't go back to sleep. But the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, man, if we had more people listening – and suspending their need to be right, their need to have something have to be a certain way, and fewer people advocating. We have so many people advocating their position that nobody's listening anymore. And we already have talked about it ad nauseum that the we already have a lot of business in our government, right? Lobbyists. It's going on. And yet in the end, so every business is advocating. Every politician is advocating. Every pundit you hear on television or radio, they're all advocating. Who's listening? The only people listening, I think, are you. Eventually the voters, right? You're the ones that are listening. But everyone else is advocating. What we need, we need to find leaders that will not just advocate, but will also educate and be educated, that will be open to listening and hearing and suspending their needs to have something have to be a certain way. And I think until we can do that, you're not going to solve the pharmaceutical problems. You're not going to solve the healthcare problems, which is why, again, there's such a cool spirit when the Pope comes to town. Except what you hear on the news is, oh, man, this is the green pope that's all about green and clean and ugh. 
just be open. Just be open. That's our number one, folks, of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion, help you find the good in the world. Stick with us. We'll be back after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Your life coach here, Dr. Matt, your guide, your guide on the side with a chest cold. But uh, Kathy says it makes my... My voice sounds so much more sultry. Very sexy, yes. Rawr. <laughs> I can't make noises oh. I cough. How are you, Kathy? And I can smell your your cough drop. Is That's that not have? a cough drop. That's my it? new uh, chest mentholatum Oh, rub. the mentholatum. My, you know, That'll my, open your nostrils. Did you ever use that? What was that called? Oh, yeah. Don't Vicks you rub. Yeah. Vicks vapor rub. Uh-huh. My sister swears by it. Yeah. She's like... Why did you put it on your feet? Have you heard that? Seriously, true story. Oh, really? They put it on their feet. I wonder if it cures plantar. I could do. I that doubt it. Seeping up into the plantar. <laughs> no, yeah. The, did you used to rub time. it on your chest and then my we'd put a towel around yep, me and then yep. pin the towel on? Yep, you remember yes, that? Yes, totally. That's and then in the middle of the it. night, you'd wake up with some like safety pin stuck in your neck. <laughs> You're like, this Ow. feels weird. <laughs> Oh, those were the days. Uh, I do remember that, yeah. My sister still swears by it. She loves getting sick just to have that, just to have that Vicks on, on her wow. chest. I'm like, Ugh. Yeah, no. no. That's not worth it. I'm going to – that's not a bad idea though. Because <laughs> it loosens your chest yes. cold. Yes. You know what we could come up with? Let's come up with like um, wipes that have it on that you could just do. Like, yeah, Vicks wipes. Yeah, Vicks, disposable, disposable wipes. Vicks wipes. Not wipes, but you know. Something well, to put on let's your Let's call it wipees. Wipees. <laughs> That's a great... Yeah. Okay, uh, copyright that. Yeah, Will you that... copyright that? Copy that down, Yeah. Mike. I'll... I want to make we sure we... patent okay. on that immediately. Yeah, I'll... patent it and meme it. Make it a meme. <laughs> okay, hold on. Vic... Yeah. What is that? I'm sharpening a pencil. Oh. Do you want me to write, write it down, down right now? Yeah, would you write it down? Yeah, sure. Okay. Patent... Yeah, patent for... Uh, Vicks wipees. Chest, chest okay. rub wipes. Also, uh, patent and trademark towel with safety pin. Towel with. <laughs> safety. You could get sued okay. for that if the safety pin stuck someone in the neck. So I better yeah. not do the safety okay. pin. We notation. Yeah, we'll get uh, no make, safety mo- pin. notation. Uh, safety pin that doesn't come undone and stick people Maybe in the Velcro. Got it. A Velcro. A Velcro towel. Yeah, there you go. Velcro. Maybe we shouldn't be talking towel. about this on the air. <laughs> I know. We're giving away our good idea. <laughs> oh. oh, great. But we've already – that, that is now copyrighted. Copyrighted. I'm sending it in today. Okay. 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 Send it air. to the place where it's we send recorded. it. We're good. Uh, hey, would you uh, – the Pope's in town. Mm-hmm. I, again – now, I went on an LDS mission uh-huh. to Argentina. Right. And this Pope is from Argentina. Mm-hmm. So I have this this incredible brotherhood. With Pope Francis. Yes, you do. Sure, I'm a Mormon guy from Utah, and he's from Argentina and is now the Pope. Yeah. We're still close. Yeah. Do you still keep in touch with people back there? You know, I do not. (laughs) 
They uh, so it meant a lot to you, obviously. It did, but you know what? <laughs> My Spanish is going away, and well, your son that just came home. Don't yeah. you talk to him? Yeah, I'm actually okay. going to pay him to keep in touch with yeah. my people. Just keep, it's no touch with people. <laughs> no, just have him talk with you so you can get your your Spanish back. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Now Facebook, there I'm finding a lot of them on Facebook now, mm-hmm. and Good. so that's cool because now, now I can keep is up. Is your with Spanish them. from Argentina different from him? His from Mexico? See. Si. Sí, very much. Mucho. Sí. Hay una diferencia bastante entre los dos. Which is, what did you just say? I said, the goat needs to be milked <laughs> by Thursday. <laughs> no, I can't Does remember. the goat sound there, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the cool thing is about the Pope, though. Mm-hmm. So the, the Argentines obviously love him, but right. these people, there's, they're, they're thinking there will be 150,000 people lining the streets wow. for him just to drive by today. Oh, I'm sure. I, I heard it was a lot more than that. Yeah. And there's, I mean, so, so for so many of these people, this will be an incredible spiritual moment. Very so whatever much. you believe, whatever faith you're from, for anybody that believes in a God and, and connects that God to this man, Pope Francis mm-hmm. – they're going to feel have a spiritual moment today. Very much so. So it could be a very big day. It's going to elevate DC for a while. And this then he is leaves so cool. it, it's going to sink again. <laughs> yeah, then it's going to just tank. But so many of the so many of the uh, our leaders are Catholic, mm-hmm. right? I right. mean, uh, Nancy Pelosi and so many of the and um, John Boehner. They're they're Catholic, so they're like giddy. I don't know. I think it's cool. So. Please, Pope Francis, get our leaders to pick up their game. <laughs> He's going to be addressing our leaders mm-hmm. today. Yeah, this morning. This I think a, as we speak. This is a big deal. Yeah. Um, by the way, um, really quickly, did you hear about that doctor, that, a woman in China? Her ear was itching. You ever had an itchy ear? Very, yeah. Yeah. All the time. Well, next time you have an itchy ear, think of this, okay? okay. Because – they, they, she went in to get to, to the doctor because of the discomfort, and they pulled a centipede out of her ear. Oh. Whoa. Whoa. And uh, she, she's unnamed. She didn't want to be named. <laughs> but uh, the, the, it was in the emergency room in Yangzhou Hospital in Jiangsu. That is disgusting. What, the name of the hospital? Well, I mean that yeah. and the, the centipede coming out of the ear. We, mean- we actually have audio of the centipede oh. being taken Uh-oh. out of the ear. Ooh, Ooh, that sounded sounded weird. That sounded well. What it is? A centipede just wants to hang on Mm -hmm. with those little legs. They just hang on. Did you ever watch the Twilight Zone? Yeah, back in the day. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I can still vividly remember one of a of a guy who gets an earwig in his ear. Yeah, and he's tethered to the bed, just screaming as it's going through, and then it comes out the other side, and everybody thinks he's okay until they find out it's laid eggs in his. Oh, see. It's the strangest thing, and I was just a kid going, thinking that was real, yeah. and that could happen. No. But I don't think it can. No, there is a rule. Those were good. Those, those Twilight Zones were scary. Don't ever let an earwig Never. lay eggs in, in your, your ear, in your, your brain. brain. Yeah. Well, that's just bad news. That's bad news Bad all news around. for everyone. Let's see if we've got some good news. Kathy Much Aiken better. Yes. with the headlines. Good morning, everyone. The Pope's historic visit to America began this morning with hugs, handshakes, and selfies with fans gathered to catch a glimpse of the pontiff. Then it was on to the White House. The way that your message of love and hope has inspired so many people across our nation and around the world. So on behalf of the American people, it is my great honor and privilege to welcome you to the United States of America. 
President Obama and nearly 15,000 guests are on the White House lawn to hear the Pope's first message to America. As the son of an immigrant family, I'm happy to be a guest in this country, which was largely built by such families. This morning's ceremony is the start of a full-day event, including an address to the U.S. bishops and the first-ever canonization mass ever held on American soil. The Pope will then address a joint session of Congress. In his six-day three-city tour, the Pope will also visit New York and Philadelphia. Hillary Clinton finally shared her stance on the Keystone XL pipeline yesterday. And I think it is imperative that we look at the Keystone pipeline as what I believe it is, a distraction from the important work we have to do to combat climate change and, unfortunately, from my perspective, one that interferes with our ability to move forward to deal with all the other issues. Therefore, I oppose it. Speaking of Clinton, the FBI has reportedly recovered personal and work-related emails from her private server she thought had been deleted. The FBI is trying to figure out how many classified emails are on the server and how they got there. The agency is concerned about whether Clinton's private email server exposed any classified information, and if so, the extent of that exposure. Martin Scarelli, the pharmaceutical boss under intense fire for raising the price of a life-saving drug 5,000 percent, said he will lower the cost of the drug Daraprim. Scarelli didn't say what the new price would be, but admitted the decision to lower the cost was due to outrage over the increase from $13.50 a pill to $750. But right now, it's a free market, and it's up to each company to decide what price is proper. The company that owns the drug is Turing Pharmaceuticals out of New York. Yogi Berra, the former Hall of Fame catcher for the New York Yankees, died last night of natural causes. Berra was won 10 World Series titles with the Yankees and was named MVP three times. He also served in World War II in the Navy. He was famous for such quotes as, it ain't over till it's over, and if you see a fork in the road, take it. Barrow was 90 years old and died 69 years to the day after he made his major league debut. And Matt, did you know today marks the first official day of fall? Yes. Uh, It signals the end of summer. And the beginning of the transition to winter. Uh, the days will progressively get shorter, <laughs> culminating with the December solstice on December 21st. Uh, Finally, really? You want summer to be well, over? Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, oh. why? Flu, why? Se- it's flu season. Oh, we already I have can, it. I can hardly wait for <laughs> flu season. <laughs> oh, see, now I love uh, fall, but I just know wait. that snow is around the corner and that drive in here in the mornings is going to be tough. Oh, but see, then yeah. that's what makes the drive fun. It does. Right now, it's just boring. Yeah. But when you don't you know have, if you're going to live, that's true. Whole that will wake game. you up. You know what else is cool about fall? This is the best sporting time it ever. Is. I totally agree. Right? World Absolutely. Series, football, football. Yeah. I'm oh, with you. Man. I'm with you. As far as that goes, for sure, it's Cricket. the best time of year. But cricket, oh, yeah. croquet. See, I'm not a skier, so winter just. I'm not a skier either. Uh, I mean, no. I used to be till the accident. Oh my Yeah, go. you don't want to go. There. No, but that's. Um, hey, I'm not. Yeah, but fall. I don't like winter. I don't, don't either. get me wrong. I and love I don't fall, like fall, but I just know it's coming. So I once enjoy the leaves it. are gone, I don't like fall. <laughs> but boy, in Utah, it's the most beautiful time ever. Beautiful. The mountains are gorgeous Holy right now. Cow. Yeah. So it's a, I like about three weeks. The next yeah. three weeks, I like. Yeah. And then it's like, ugh. And then it's like, ugh. You know what's the worst is when we turn the clocks back. Yeah. And uh, it's dark at five o'clock. I know. Oh, I don't like that. Fall back. Does that yeah, mean I lose back. sleep? Yep. Oh, jeez. I can't sleep. No, do we gain? No, we gain an hour. 
Oh, we better. Yeah, because instead of getting up at five, it'll be four, so you get an extra hour. Mm. Yeah, we gain an hour. There you go. There, ah, we just found the good news. <laughs> that's why I like it right there. Good stuff, Kathy. Always finding the good in the world, even if we have to just squeeze it out. Good stuff. Hey, uh, have you ever sat there and noticed that your your child, now adolescent, is bored? Have you ever said, I'm bored. There's nothing to do here. That may be a sign, my friends, that your child is moving out of childhood stages and into adolescence. And we're going to teach you some of the problems that that may be causing. There are issues that you as a parent have run into, you're going to run into, so we're going to inform you. It's a stage. It's a passage. Some tools to help you and your adolescent from being bored to death. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, isn't it amazing how quickly your relationship can go from playing horsey and pretend with your kids to frequently, uh, you know, calling and trying to ask about where they are and what they were doing and what's going on and what happened yesterday, and they're just shutting you out of their lives? You know, you go from playmate to nag in residence, and it's not what you intended. But what's going on? When our child moves from the stage of childhood to adolescent, There's a lot of weird changes that happen to our children, and uh, maybe they're not as weird when we actually understand what's really going on with them. So we wanted to bring in an expert today. Dr. Carl Pickard is joining us, and he is teaching us about, um, he wrote an article called How Detachment from Childhood Begets Adolescent Boredom, and he's here to teach us about uh, adolescent and that movement from from a child to adolescent Dr. Picard, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, it's good to be back, Matt. Good talking to you. I know. You, Great to have you back. Uh, talk about what, what is adolescence? Because I think we're confused in knowing at what age adolescence starts and ends. Well, adolescence is the process that essentially takes, uh, takes somebody as they separate from childhood around 9 to 13, and they, se- they separate from that dependent attachment on parents and they start detaching, mm. and they start growing to more, uh, ultimately, to young adulthood, a little after the college-age years, uh, where they are now detached and more independent. And in the process of that, what they're doing is they're growing along two major paths. One is to, along independence, where they learn sufficient self-response, self-management responsibility to take care of themselves, and the other one is individuality, where they have tried on enough different ways of expressing and experiencing themselves so they can claim a uniquely fitting identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, a, this is a, you know, probably a 10- to 12-year uh, growth process for most kids. Uh, and, um, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of work and time, and there's a lot of challenge involved, and a lot of, certainly a lot of change, the way you describe it. Yeah. I mean, that's, when you talk about... You know, going to the parent as playmate, going to the parent as nag, you know, you're talking about <laughs> the fact that it's not just the child who's changing, but now the parent changes in response, and now the relationship changes. And you, a lot of times this is where you hear your kids talking about how bored they are. Right. And early, 
boredom boredom sets in, and the, the two major boredom times I think for adolescents are the first stage, early adolescence, nine to thirteen, when they're separating from childhood, and then the last phase, generally the college age years, uh, eighteen to twenty-three, where mm-hmm. they're they they're all of a sudden they're confronted with doing something with themselves and they don't know what. But the boredom sets in in early adolescence because what the kid does is they, when they let go of childhood, uh, they're trying to make room for you know for growth. All they know is at this point is that they are, you know, the statement basically is you know I no longer want to be treated and defined like a little child anymore. Yeah. And so this it's, it's boredom is you know is is a function of the dissatisfaction that the young person is is experiencing the problem is you know while they have a lot of negative certainty about how they don't want to be treated they really have not yet figured out what they do want to do oh, with yeah so they're kind of just honorary they know what they don't want but they, right. they're not necessarily hooked into what they do want so it just seems right. like they're hopeless they're, yeah they're they're kind of riding on empty and they're they're basically i think there are two kinds of boredoms and and, and their kid is susceptible to both you know one one type is what i call type one boredom where they're essentially empty of interest and there the notion is you know you know i can't stand having nothing to do i don't know what to do with myself mm-hmm. and then there's type 2 boredom which is from entrapment and disinterest you know i can't stand what i have to do whether it's chores or homework or whatever oh, yeah and so they're you know they're 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 bit in two ways, <laughs> in two ways by it you know and then parents get caught in this terrific double bind you know the they 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 start suggesting and making you know well you could do this or you could do that and you know and then the the, the kid rejects all this every one of them right rejection mode and they say oh parents are no help and <laughs> and so it's you know it 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 just adds you know it, it's just it's a period of, of where the kid is kind of riding on empty for a while and I for me I think I think boredom is a topic that is is worthy of parental attention. Right, because uh, that's when, when that's when they go do something says, crazy, right? That's when they get into drugs, and I mean, that's what we think. Our fear is this is a, mo- a pivotal moment because they're going to go stimulate themselves with something that they shouldn't be doing. Well, if the, yeah, it depends. Yeah, the, the distinction parents have to make is whether the, whether boredom is passing or per, or protracted. There you go. Passing, if it's maybe a week, that's one thing, and you know, you want to leave the kid to see if, in fact, they can generate the resources to feel like to see if they can find some ways to occupy themselves and start filling themselves back up. But if it's protracted, if it continues, you know, then, in fact, I think it does become, you know, more dangerous because now, you know, what, what they're feeling is, is uh, you know, they're feeling not just disconnected, um, but they're, they're feeling, you know, they're feeling lonely. They, they, they don't know how to, you know, they don't know how to connect with themselves and other people. They're feeling kind of aimless. They don't know what to do with themselves and they're feeling it's kind of pointless. They don't know, you know, what, what are they, what are they supposed to be doing? Yeah. Well, um, and, and you know and, what, Carl, if people, if parents don't know about this adolescence stage and these boredom phases, um, the, the, I bet a lot of parents just think, their kid's crazy. Well, or, you know, or what's going on here? They think the kid is crazy or they discount it. You know, it's funny, Matt. There are two, there are two emotions that I think adults tend to trivialize mm. uh, that are not trivial. One is, one is they think it's, it's kind of funny when the kid is embarrassed. Uh, and, you know, particularly once the kid hits puberty, oh. you know, they are very, very self conscious and very insecure. And so that, 
you know, parents either that allow or engage in teasing at that point uh, can do a lot of harm because embarrassment is, is really one small step from shame. So, you know, when, you, when your kid enters adolescence, you've got to be sure your family is a no-tease zone. Nobody yeah. teases anybody. Uh, the, the second one, I think, is boredom, where people think, oh, well, that's just a trivial feeling, and it's not. And, you know, and we know it's not a trivial feeling because we use the exact same language uh, for fear. Mm. That is, what we say is, you know, you can be bored or scared, silly or stiff, yeah, right. out of my mind, or even to death. We know that boredom is serious emotional business. Uh, and so that that's why we want to pay attention to it, because what happens is if the kid, you know, if the kid gets in, in, stuck in protracted boredom, you know, then what's going to happen is that they're going to have, they're going to try to, you know, struggle to get their way out of it. And, and then at that point, uh, uh, boredom can become a staging area for a lot of impulsive mm. decision-making, oh, uh, yeah. particularly in the company of like-minded friends who are also bored, too, and are just stuck for something to do, anything to do. Well, then, and, and creating their, their kind of sense of identity. So what if, I mean, then their identity becomes, you know, being anti-social or being destructive or being whatever. This is a, this is oh, a pivotal right. moment. Yeah. They can't find an, a you know a positive way to challenge. I mean, the, the the antidote to what you're describing, which is more you know rebellious definition, is challenge. And if right. they can't find a way to challenge themselves, or if parents can't find a way to help them find an avenue of challenge, then the kid is more likely to go get into more negative self-definition. Ugh. And unfortunately, some of that negative self-definition can lead to self-defeating or self-destructive behavior at the extreme. But I guess what's powerful for all of us to know is how normal these things are in these stages. And um, what, what we probably ought to do, Carl, is come back and have you teach us what we could be doing as a parent to to help kind of facilitate this this process. And, and I guess to know that detachment is normal. They, they need to detach from you so they can grow to be independent. Absolutely. And I want you to teach us how we get them to detach without overcompensating or undercompensating, without abandoning them. Uh, we'll have more with Dr. Carl Pickhart. you got to go check out his website, carlpickhart.com, P-I-C-K-H-A-R-D-T.com, carlpickhart.com. We'll be back. More on uh, adolescent boredom and... Uh, they're growing up, the stage of detaching from parents and creating independent children. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, our kids, they're, they're going to grow up, and they're going to go through stages. they got to leave the childhood stage eventually, right? And to do so, they have to detach from being a child and, and begin this process of being an adolescent. One of the byproducts is boredom. And uh, our guest uh, is a wonderful man with a, a lot of great uh, resources and information. He uh, has um, writes a lot of blogs, writes a lot of uh, books. One of the great, uh, we've had him on the show before uh, talking about the boomerang kid, kids. 
you know, when you th- you thought you threw your kids out and they're ha- happy and healthy and they boomerang back and they're home. His name is Dr. Carl Picard, and you can find him at carlpicard.com, which is C-A-R-L-P-I-C-K-H-A-R-D-T dot com, where you can get all of his books, his articles, and uh, just the wonderful insight. Dr. Picard, welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's good to be back, Matt. We love having you and picking your brain, no pun intended, Dr. Picard. <laughs> um, talk to me about the the, the kids, okay? They, there's these two stages they need to wean off of us from being so dependent, and we want them to be independent. But it seems like sometimes as parents, we have troubles doing that with them, and sometimes they have trouble being right, independent. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, independence is, you know, it, both parent and adolescent are, as you say, are ambivalent. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's wanting to let go on the one hand and wanting to hold on on the other hand. Right. And, you know, the kid, you know, that's why the kid sends all these double messages, you know, you know, leave me alone, you know, you never pay me any attention. Mm-hmm. You know, well, which way does the kid want it? <laughs> well, they want it both ways. Yeah. And then it gets confusing for parents. And then, the, you know, and then what, you, what the kid, you have to, you know, the, I mean, adolescence begins with loss. You know, it's lost for the parents because they're never going to have that adoring, adorable little child again. Right. And that's, that, that is a significant loss. And, you know, parents need to understand that if the loss is significant, it means that they have had an enormous gift that they need to celebrate, that they have had a wonderful early period with this child, you know, that is, you know, which is forever there, and they're, they're, they're fortunate to have it. And now what they have to do is they have to start letting go as the kid starts letting go of them. Mm. But letting go, you know, as you mentioned, does not mean you don't abandon the child. As a matter right. of fact, the, you know, the, the, the hard task of, of, of parenting adolescents is staying connected while adolescence grows them apart, which is what it's meant to do. So parents at that point, while they're doing some letting, more letting go, they're also giving all kinds of continual choice points to connect with them in positive ways, whether it's expressions of caring or communication or concern or companionship or cooperation. They're, con- they're always, you know, they keep making these kind of invitations for positive engagement with them, and they need to be understand that when the kid says, no, not now, I don't want to, who'd want to do that? Parents need not to see that as a rejection. Right. What it means is the kid, for whatever reason, is not in a position to accept that invitation at this moment. But it doesn't mean that, you know, they sh- parents should not keep up the positive choice points and the invitations. They need to do that to give the kid the chance to stay as connected with parents as that kid needs to be while the detachment process is unfolding. And this can happen up through, like, 25, couldn't it? Well, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's, at each stage, there's, you know, there's kind of a new degree of letting go, I think. That, yeah. You know, the, the hardest stage, unhappily, I think is 18 to 23 is the last stage when the kid is now literally, you know, stepping off from home. And the question is, do they have sufficient self-management skills, you know, to take care of themselves in safe and constructive ways? And most kids do not have the full, you know, repertoire of skills yet developed. And so they're slipping and sliding and breaking commitments, and you know, and the kid feels you know insecure, and parents feel worried, and 
you know, it's a you know, it's a process at that point. What parents are doing, they've you know, they've moved from being managing parents to hopefully being mentoring parents, mm. where the kid can come to them for you know advice about how to choose their way out of whatever difficulty they've gotten into. It's such a risky stage, isn't it? I mean, that, that's usually when we're sending to a university and we're or in 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 our situation here at BYU, we send a lot of them out into the world to be a right. missionary. And it's nice. Well, it's safe. Very it's, interesting, Matt. Yeah. Wow, that's eighteen-year-olds. I, I don't know that experience. That's very interesting. But what's great is that you kind of have a you have a leader that's out there with you, an adult male and female that kind of are your parents, and then you have ah, about two hundred and fifty yeah. missionaries. But and you're paired up, so it's two by two. But they're supposed to go work all day and get up early and get to bed early, and no TV, and it's a lot of structure and a lot of discipline. Wow. But it's wow, also, wow. I'm noticing, it's it's hard. It's hard on these kids. Cause, and now it makes sense why. They're still going through this process of dependency versus independency. Well, that and also and also the topic we're talking about today, boredom kicks in in some very, very hard ways. Oh, yeah. Now Talk about that. The kid, you know, the kid realizes that they have more operational freedom than they've ever had before. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do with their life. Yeah. And they feel empty on that accord. And what happens is they're facing the world of work, you know, where, you know, you know, you know, like the Gallup surveys show, you know, you just, you know, the vast majority of people are either, you know, disengaged or either are dissatisfied with their work. Uh, so all of a sudden now they're going to have to do some boring work. Uh, and if they're in if they're in college, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they've got 12 years of schooling behind them and they're tired. Yeah. When it's hard for them to take an interest in this stuff, and so these, you know, it's it's a it's it's a it's one thing to be, you know, kind of put off in a state where you're more independent, but it's another one to be able to grab hold of that independent and independence and turn it into oh sure a growing experience, and that's very hard to do. Which is why if parents have kids in college or not, you know, not this failure to thrive idea, they're not. They're not picking up their life and running with it. They're in this stage, huh? They're in this bored, boredom phase where well, they don't. College, they're not motivated. College is a, college is a, is a problem. You know, it's, it's it's very very hard to grow up in college because essentially you are a student, and a student is a mm. person in a state of preparation. You know, and so and they are they are operating you know in a structure in which they are supposed to act in a dependent, compliant way. Yeah. Uh, and so it's almost like it's a strange thing. College kind of gives you a double message, you know. Yeah. Now you're more independent of home, but not really, but really dependent, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and 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 you still and your teachers are still, you know, the independent ones, and you're still the dependent ones. And right. until you right. graduate, you're not independent. It's but the board is a big thing, and you you talk about how serious it is. Um, yeah, it is. It's, it's serious because what happens is you are. It's not just that you're dissatisfied. You feeling, you know, you're feeling disconnected. You're feeling discouraged about what to do with yourself. Sometimes you're even, you know, in extreme cases, you're feeling defeated. You don't know what to do with yourself. Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, it can. It can. That's why. That's why parents need to monitor. You know, the whether it's passing or protracted, and if it's protracted. You know what kinds of messages is the kids sending to themselves, and also, particularly with early on with the early adolescent, just separating from childhood. I think parents do have some 
active roles they can take. Uh, even though the kid will say, you know, oh, I don't want to do that, and they'll protest about it, a lot of times they will go with what the parents suggested. Yeah. Uh, and they will, you know, like they'll complain about going, but then they'll be grateful if they went. So, so give us some examples of those. So you talk about four possible helpful parental roles. Right. What, what, yeah, what, what well, could we do as a parent? The first one is, the, is the, as a door opener, and the door opener is, is, has to do with parents knowing this kid probably better than any, any other adult. So they know the kid's potentialities and what their interests are, and a lot of times the kid can't really see them for themselves. So what the parent does is they try to scout out possible activities or interests that might fit. Mm. And they're not saying to the kid, you know, you know, you have to, you know, you have to make a career of this. All they're saying is, since you seem not to know what to do with yourself, I would like you to give this a try. And what you do is you just parents kind of push and they insist on this, and the kid may give them, you know, some protest up front, uh, and the kid has their say, and then they give the parents their way, and then the parents get their way. The kid gets to do something and ends up feeling good about himself. Because now they're doing something that they enjoy doing. Now, do you feel, Carl, uh, you use the word insist, and, and I feel I have a child right now that's right at that stage, and I'm afraid, if, I'm afraid to insist, or I'm afraid to push, but I also well, don't want to see him vegging around my house all day. Well, I think what you do is you just, you, pushing has to do with you just keep, you just keep repeating the opening. Okay. Repeating and repeating and repeating, and at some point the kid may say, "All right, Dad, I'll do it. I'll try it." <laughs> yeah, you know, and you get this kind of reluctant permission, right. and you know, and this is one of the adolescent compromises, which is the, you know, you have to let the kid have their say, which is, you know, the negative stuff, and then what happens is the kid lets the, you know, the parent have yeah. their way. Yeah, uh, and in this case, because the kid doesn't have any idea what the, you know, what what yeah. way they want. It's it's actually it's a relief to have something to do. Well, and, and especially if you give your rationale, right? So if I share my rationale behind this idea, right, and it shows that I'm attuned to my child, then right. they they might buy in easier. Even if they don't say yes right then, they might right. buy in, in in an hour. And that's and that's the and that's the perfect statement. I mean, what you're saying is, you know, well, I just want you know, you as a parent, you say, well, I just want to keep this open for discussion. Yeah, that's great. We yeah, can talk about it. We'll talk about it again later. It's so you true. Just, you just keep laitering the kid. Yeah. So that that's that's parent as the door opener. Right. What's that's what's another one? Open. And then you have the parent who's just activity director, which is, <laughs> um, you know, the parent saying, well, since you don't know what to do with yourself, here are some things that you know would be useful to get done around the place. And what you do is you give the kid a way to keep busy. And, you know, they don't thank you for that. But on the other hand, what happens is, you know, doing something, even of a, you know, of a household nature, you know, feels better than just sitting around yeah. and having nothing to do. Uh, and so I mean, the parents, you know, you know, the parents would say, well, you know, you, know, you, you know, it's important to keep our kid busy. You know, they, they, to some degree, they're onto something. That's right. If the kid doesn't know how to busy themselves, sometimes giving the kid some busyness that the parent, you know, has stuff that they would like to get done is helpful. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, course, and, and giving them the ideas and, and setting it up and, and, and holding accountability to it, I guess. Right. Yeah. You just... I mean, these are these are none of these. You know, you're, these are not pursued with, you know, you know, with criticism or anger, irritation. It's just you know, essentially you, the starting point is to say, well, you know, you're at a time in your life when it's really hard, 
to figure out what you want to do with yourself, number one. And number two, a lot of the things you have to do are things you don't really feel you want to do. And on both counts, you know, you're feeling kind of dissatisfied. And that's okay. And part of my parenting job is to help you, you know, get some direction and activity for yourself to keep yourself going, you know, until you can start figuring out some positive ways you want to invest yourself in yourself to feel good about yourself. I love that. I mean, that's and you're because you were now at least talking about it, right? We're not right, we're not exactly. just having a kid exactly. stewing in our basement. We're we're actually bringing it out. You're bored. This is boredom. This is a natural yeah, and stage. Why, and part of and part of it is and that's exactly right. You want to <clears throat> you want to be able to legitimize, recognize, and <clears throat> explain what boredom is. Mm-hmm. One and you want to say, well, you know, this is a time in your life when a lot of people just don't know what to do with themselves, and that's okay. It's an uncomfortable feeling, and so I'm going to be giving you some possibilities, and those possibilities, you know, may not sound that good to you, but on the other hand, you know, they, I think, what they'll do is they'll give you something to do until you can figure out stuff that you would really like to do. Yeah, man, this is so appropriate in my life right now. You have no idea. And I think so many parents are feeling are feeling this. So parents, you can be a door opener, opening up I, I, you know, ideas based on your child's ability, maybe create, spark some interest in them. You can be an activity director, giving ideas and activities they can go do right now. We could also be a social substitute, you say. Yeah, that has to do with the fact that the, the you know, the parents can, you know, here's this kid sitting around. They don't know what to do with themselves, who to be with. They can offer themselves as kind of a social substitute. They can say, look, I know being with your friends is probably your favorite thing to do, but since you're not with friends and you don't have anybody to be with, let's do something together you would enjoy doing. And maybe you go out to eat or you go to a movie or something. But what you're doing is you are creating, in this case, a positive choice point, which has to do with, with companionship. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know, the, the kid is, says, well, you know, I guess my, you know, my, my having, having parents for, for company is better than having no company. Right. Particularly if it's, you know, if the company has to do with doing some kind of activity that I enjoy. And a lot of their um, friends, Carl, have gone away to school or, you know, they're, they're in their jobs, they're doing other things. And so if, if, if your child's not that al- far along, they may not have as many friends today. Well, that's right, and one of one of the things, and, and this is yeah, it's important. The it's a different issue, but one of the things that happens in early adolescence, particularly in middle school, is that you get good friends who fall, who grow apart. And what happens is, as they start differentiating and seeking more individual expression, they find that the old relationships don't seem to fit as well. The old friendships, yeah, and so one of them will start moving off towards other associations. And it's not, you know, it's it's not done, and need, the kid is not doing that to hurt the other person. They're just trying to find out, <laughs> to discover new companionship that work better as they change. So this is casting off mm. that can happen. So true. So so you we can be a, a we, amount of loneliness with that. Yeah, yeah, and we can we can watch for the loneliness and then be a partner, you know, a, a companion, go do some activities. Last but not least, you say one of the roles that, that parents can play and, and, and probably ought to play a little bit is the venture capitalist. 
Yeah, well, sometimes the kid will sit around and they'll have some kind of idea, but they'll say, well, I don't know where I can get that to happen. I don't, you know, I mean, I guess I could go, yeah, I mean, I could, I guess I could try to earn some money, but I'd have to, you know, I have to get some kind of a hand mower to do that. I don't have that. Mm-hmm. And it says, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. If that's something you really want to try, it sounds like it might be a good idea. I'll, you know, I'll front you the money to get the, uh, you know, to get a mower for yourself. And uh, why don't you try it and, you know, try it for six months and see if that seems to work. And then we can see how it's going. Yeah, that's great. And yeah. you call these choice points, but that's like a pivot point, right? I mean, if all of a sudden my son's <laughs> right. going to pivot and start to make a turn here and right. at least learn business because he went and started a mower business that fell apart, it doesn't right. matter. It's something that will create flow Absolutely. or movement. Yes, that's right. Because, you know, any experience like that is profitable experience because it – allows the kid to try themselves out in some way they had not before okay. and it is a it's an expression of initiative and initiative of course is is the way kids over initiative and interest are the ways that kids overcome boredom it sounds like the parents have a really p- important essential role in this this stage th- this moment oh, yeah. of of uh adolescent boredom um, as we wrap it up, Carl, what would you say, what's the one thing we ought to remember as parents with our kids who are just underperforming in our minds or bored? What, what should we always remember? Well, I think the thing to remember, number one, is that boredom, you know, boredom doesn't mean something is wrong with the young person. It means that they are simply going through a period of either emptiness of interest or disinterest, and coping with both states is a life skill. And if they can learn how to take an interest in what is disinterested and not interesting or, and, and fill themselves up when they feel empty, you know, those are skills that will carry them forward in life because adults are also susceptible to boredom. Mm-hmm. And so that you can learn, you know, if the kid learns how to master boredom, you know, when it developmentally hits, uh, that is that it creates a huge amount of resourcefulness as they move forward in their later life. Mm, Great stuff. Well, Carl, we appreciate you again. Uh, Dr. Carl, Carl Picard, go to his website. uh, Doctor, just the website is www.carlpicard.com. And uh, get all the information. He's 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 got so much information, and you might not feel that need yet. But when you have your child moving into adolescence, you know that nine to thirteen stage, or eighteen to twenty-one or whatever. Boy, pivotal moments in life, and uh, we so appreciate having experts like Carl on the show. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back to a quick little wrap up. This is the Matt Townsend Show trying to help you find the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. What an interesting, uh, interesting topic. You've heard your kids say it before, right? I'm bored. Oh, this is so boring. I hate my life. I mean, even just sending your kids to college, if they didn't love high school, and you're like, hey, off to college, they're hating it. 
And and then you're frustrated because like, what's wrong with my kid? I love going to college. What's wrong with my child? And then we create all this anxiety in them because we think and we act like they're so pathetic. Come on, man. When I was in college, I got the best grades ever. I had 15 internships. Well, yeah, they're not you. So deal with it. Move on. But to find out that this stage, maybe of an 18-year-old, 21, 22, 23, it's a pretty important moment, right? And their, their boredom with life, their, their kind of negative attitude where they seem like they don't like anything about life, it may be just simply their fear, their insecurity with this idea of having to move forward where they don't know what they want to move forward in. They don't have a passion yet. They don't know what they're good at. They don't know what they want to do. And so as parents, we could, we could play a big role in that and make a difference where we, we create a supportive atmosphere, we're understanding, and we're partnering with them to help them figure it out. So and I'm, I'm experiencing it. I've got two sons right there in that stage, and uh, one's a little older. One's a year and a half, two years older and, and a little kind of more knowing what he wants. And But it's then it's kind of getting him motivated, figuring out what he likes. And then another one, I I do end up – I am his venture capitalist. I am his venture partner. And it's pretty powerful when you finally get them to hook into something they're passionate about. Um, so just just notice it. It's It's healthy. It's healthy. Or you could just do what uh, the organizers in Somerville, Massachusetts did. As a city, they threw a party for itself, which is, I think, I think it's a great idea. Every city needs a party. But they threw a pity party, which, was that you, Mike? Yeah. Bless you, son. Yeah, right? I'm okay. Was that, was that a party? It was a pity party. That's a pity party sound. That's what I would do at a pity party. You'd blow that little horn. Just a little. Just blow that horn again. Blow that little noisemaker. Maybe you turn it down. Kind of loud. It seemed really loud. Or my ears really sensitive. Mm. There it is. So they had a community event where everyone could come and just be sad. There was a booth where people could sign love letters, which later they would just throw into the garbage can. <laughs> that seems so sad. It was just a place to wallow in your sadness. Wear your pajamas. Where did this happen? Uh, Somerville, Massachusetts. Just the day to just be sad. Wear your pajamas, you know, binge on ice cream, listen to sad songs. <sighs> Go look in the mirror. Pick on your face a bit. Well, I mean, what was the point of this? Why did they, I mean, why? Why? Why is that beneficial? What do you mean? To have a pity party. I mean, that doesn't sound like a good thing. Is it not supposed to be a good thing? Is it art? I mean, it's just no. There were artists there, there were performers, but they, everything they offered was sad. <laughs> it's just a day to be sad. Okay. You know, that's one way to get it out of your system. You just you're just sad. Maybe it's not a good idea. Or you could just go to a ball game and have a good day and eat a hot dog. Have a little have the burps for a while. Pity party. We don't want our kids having pity parties. We probably don't want our cities having them either. 
I don't know what you're doing, Somerville, but it sounded like a lot of fun. Not. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take a break and come back. Uh, hour number two, the Matt Townsend Show done. Signed, sealed, delivered. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools, so you don't have to have a pity party, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you, your family, your loved ones, the tools you need to grow healthier, happier lives. Top of the morning to you. The Pope is in the house. And you sound terrible. <laughs> I really do. I don't know what it is. I'm that going through frog, that change. You know? Yeah. Every it's time, time. I go through it about twice a year. <laughs> I don't know if the change will ever stick. Um, <sighs> the Pope's in town, which is great news. Not just for Catholics, but for all of us to celebrate... Uh, you know, such a wonderful man who's out serving the lives of others. And uh, there's already one miracle that's taken place. Have you heard? I have not heard. You know the happy birthday song? I Yes, I did hear that. Okay, I was thinking of The happy else. birthday song is, it's not even just, this is a miracle. Because when you think of the happy birthday song, you probably, this is what you hear. Right. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Those are the minions. Isn't that beautiful? That is great. Now, if back in the day, the minions singing that song, mm-hmm. they would have had to pay a lot of money a to lot sing of money, that song. Yes. But it's copyrighted, right? You can now sing Happy Birthday anywhere you like without fear of copyright lawyers pouncing on you. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Can you imagine how much money they made off that, of uh, suing people for singing that? Yeah. I mean, and so all of a sudden you're just sitting there at your child's quinceanera. <laughs> and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, SWAT, they hit your house. Mm-hmm. They're throwing everyone down. The cake gets tipped over. Yep. Your your daughter's crying. Out. Yeah. Were you singing Happy Birthday? We heard you. Yes, you sing like minions. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Yes, it's about time. One lady, Rupa Maria, had to pay $455 for including the Happy Birthday song on a live album. That's crazy. It's Happy Birthday for heaven's sakes. And now, and I don't know, I'm not sure it's that there's any correlation with the Pope being in town. Could be. That's that's you said that's a miracle, so that could but be. It's a miracle. It's a miracle, baby. It's a miracle. And uh there's another big miracle that we need the Pope to help out with. Okay. This is crazy. Uh there are rats as big as cats. Mm. There at which your is house? In no, in oh. Plymouth City Council, which is I don't I guess Plymouth is this in Michigan? Plymouth. Mm. I don't know. Rats as big as cats, garbage man. Oh, jeez. Does that give you chills? Have you seen a live rat? Not a rat, but plenty of mice. We have a field behind our home, Uh and so, yeah, we've had to fend off Oh, we found a rat. We found a mouse in our house, not a rat. My wife found it. Oh, was it alive? 
Yeah. Oh no. It had been no. Dead. It was Killed dead by the yeah by the trap. Yeah. Mm. Did you just flush the mouse down the toilet? He doesn't know what. I just heard a flush sound. <laughs> But uh, these these poor garbage men are now being terrorized by a new breed of enormous foot-long rats. Oh, wow. Which show no fear. They're That's fearless right here in the United States of America. Rats. Yeah. Oh. It's horrible. Wow. And uh, they grow they're, – they're fearless. They're bigger and bigger than they've ever been. These guys are like, like literally – we used to, you know, they, we used to scare them off and they just run away. These guys have no fear. Oh, wow. They're huge. How would you, how would you – what kind of trap would you get for that? Oh, wow. We had to get a trap. We found one. My son found one online, and it was literally – it you, It goes in. So you put a little thing of peanut butter at the end mm-hmm. of this, this little cylinder they go in, and it just zip, zaps them. Oh, it electrocutes Electrocute, yeah. Well, why would you choose that trap? I mean, that Over seems one like, like that breaks its neck or something? Oh, I love that one. No. <laughs> love to hear that sound of this big snap. Oh, they're horrible. It's quick. It's quick. No, that's a good trap because yeah. we've had mice – Get stuck on a sticky trap, yes, I've and then seen just that. you know, with two legs, just carry it around the neighborhood. <laughs> oh, you have not. It's horrible, and you hear it squealing trying oh, yeah. to get out. Right? Uh, oh, not good. That's cool. But I, I, we had a rite of passage. One of my sons, we turned into a man uh-huh. because we found the mouse and in a trap. And I said, "Do you want me to get it, or do you want to be a man now?" <laughs> That's and, how you do it at your home. <laughs> he said, "Father, I would like to be a man now." So I'd like to go kill this mouse with yeah. what? And it was already dead. Oh, it was dead. This one was dead. Oh, well, that's not. And that's so, not tough. Well, I know, but there's still like hantavirus. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right? true. Yeah. He could still die. <laughs> and so we gloved him up, and mm. we taught him how to do it. And now I have my mouse guy, and for the rest of the year, mouse I'll be man. able to say, "Mr. Mouse, Mr. Mouse Man, uh-huh, go save your mother." <laughs> No, my wife. I've been home. I came home once, and my wife was sitting on the counter, like almost in tears, because there was a mouse below mm-hmm. in one of the cupboards. Yeah. Oh, not the worst. And by the way, uh, guess what they love to eat? Halls. Oh, well, you've got them right Halls. here. Yeah. Halls. Really? Triple soothing action. I would think that would kill them. Throat actually. lozenges. Mmm. <laughs> no, they love them. I guess there's a lot of sugar in them, mm. which is weird because a lot of our Producers are just coming in and asking for hulls. Yeah. Like they're candy. Mm. I'm like, they're not candy. Do you, so how do you get the mice? Do you do it with cheese? We do peanut butter. Gets them every time. Yeah, peanut butter, peanut butter. Peanut butter is great. Yeah. You know, another thing that seemed to work, um, cocoa mix. Hmm. It's just sugar. It's just a little pile of cocoa. Oh. Did you leave the powder there? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. It makes a mess, a though, one. when they get don't get killed in the trap, but they just get semi-maimed. Then you got to clean up your cocoa oh. mix. But the peanut butter, I yeah, love that. Yeah, that's a good one. It gets them every time. Mm. A little bit for the mouse trap, a little bit for me. A little bit for the mouse trap, a little bit for Matt. <laughs> good stuff. Kathy, take us to the headlines. Okay, good morning, everyone. Pope Francis arrived at the White House this morning, driving past thousands of fans lining the streets. There. The Ponda stopping along the way, shaking handshake, taking or shaking hands and taking pictures. The Pope is speaking at the White House this morning to a crowd of nearly 15,000 on the White House lawn. As the son of an immigrant family, I'm happy to be a guest in this country, which was largely built by such families. 
Before the speech, he met with President Obama, the Pope speaking this morning on climate change and religious freedom. Over the next two days, the Pope will lead a mass and address a joint session of Congress. He'll then visit New York, where he'll speak to a to the nine memorial, 9-11 memorial, excuse me, then to Philadelphia, where he'll, he'll conduct a mass at the World Meeting of Families. Hillary Clinton announced yesterday she's against the Keystone Pipeline, taking sides with progressives who are fighting the project that was spanned over 1,000 miles. Clinton said the pipeline is a distraction from important work needed to be done on climate change. The announcement drew praise from environmentalists, but criticism from GOP presidential candidates. Speaking of Clinton, the FBI has reportedly recovered emails from her private server she thought had been deleted. It's not clear how many emails have been salvaged, the FBI looking into the storage and handling of classified information on that server. According to a new poll out of Florida, Senator Marco Rubio has moved ahead of former Governor Jeb Bush 19 percent to 11 percent. Donald Trump leads there with 31 percent of the vote. The poll out of Florida Atlantic University taken after the second debate also shows Hillary Clinton with a big lead among state Democrats. But Clinton trails Rubio and Bush by eight points in the Sunshine State and Trump by 11 percent in a head-to-head matchup. Donald Trump was a guest on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert last night. Colbert started by asking Trump if President Obama was born in, in the United States. Trump said he doesn't talk about that anymore. He talks about jobs and how veterans are horribly being treated. Trump also repeated his stance of balancing trade and stopping undocumented immigration. Colbert thanked Trump for his controversial statement, saying they give him ample material to work with. Yogi Berra has died. The former New York Yankee Hall of Fame catcher won 10 World Series titles, made 15 straight All-Star games, and won three MVP awards in his 18 years with the Yankees. He was elected into the Hall of Fame in 1972, and his number eight was retired that same year. He managed the Yankees and the Mets, and in 1999 was selected to baseball's all-century team. He also served in the Navy during World War II, where he served as a gunner's mate during the D-Day invasion of France. Yogi was famous for such lines as, it's deja vu all over again, and this. I said it's not over until it's over. Barra was 90 years old. And Matt, do you do you like to try food samples when you shop? No, that's creepy. I know, that is creepy. Do, well, do you like that? I mean, like, I don't, I never my get wife them. loves it really? and my kids will line up. But no. I'm like, I have like this weird, it's just shameful. Yeah, it's like, I'm starving. Give me some. Is that free food? You yeah. You got free food there? I need it. Well, at California Costco recently, a 78-year-old man, 78-year-old man was trying to get a sample of Nutella and waffles, Ugh. but a 24-year-old grabbed all of the samples on the tray. When the 78-year-old told the 24-year-old he had taken too many, he got a punch to the face, which caused a one-inch gas, a gash oh, above the heavens. eye. He was taken to the hospital, the 24-year-old, taken to jail, where he faces up to 11 years in prison for elderly abuse. His bail was set at $50,000. It's Nutella, it's Nutella for Nutella heaven's sake. Nutella and waffles. Come on. Relax, I man. And that reminds I think I'm going to stop by Waffle Love on the way home. You're going to go get some Waffle Love. Have you ever had one of those? No. Um, ah, they're expensive. They are expensive. You but, have to split it because they are super rich. Well, not really. You don't have to split it? You could just do it. I, I mean, I could do it. I uh, could do it. Yeah. I'm sick. I know you're sick. Waffle love would sound great, Doesn't right? Doesn't It would be, be so good for me right now. Yeah. Give me a few dollars. I'll run over there for you. Where is waffle love? It's on the way home. Is it? Mm-hmm. Not too far from here. I'm good Good to know. I know. I'll Can you, you eat where. it with one hand while driving 70? Uh, yeah, probably. It depends on what you put on top of it. Everything? Yeah. Might, so some of it might drip off, so you got to be careful. But I think you could. If you gonna, use your knees, you can use both hands. Yeah, I yeah, steer with my there knees. There you go. I mean, honestly, 
Do not do that. Waffle love saying. is a great idea. Yeah. Can you believe this guy gets pummeled? Yeah, I mean, because of, he uh, takes them all, Nutella? and all he says was, you know what, you probably shouldn't take that many, and then he turns around and gets decked. Not good. Not good. Not good. <laughs> and that's, again, another reason why you don't take samples know, at the store. I know. My kids love it. I, I have a weird— It depends weird... on what it is. I think I've taken something once. I can't remember. It can't, you know, anything fresh I don't do because I don't know right. where really how it's been made, but maybe like crackers or popcorn. Yeah. But I feel a weird shame. Do you? Like— I'm looking for a handout. <laughs> kind sir. And the thing is here, everybody knows who you yeah. are. So it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, you just see Matt Townsend. Lady just with took the hairnet. Could you, could you spare me some <laughs> Nutella with on a waffle? Net. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't, it creeps me out a bit. I couldn't. That did, would be a tough job. The Colbert thing you talked about. Mm-hmm. Did you hear? Um, so everybody started booing Trump on something. Did you hear this? What did Colbert not. did? No. What was it the was question? fascinating. That's too late for me. That's why I have to yeah. watch it this well, morning. Well, I watch it um, driving to my show oh, in good. the morning. Uh huh. That's good. Yeah, I'm glad you do that on your yeah. way in. Yeah, I drive. Like I said, I'm I have glad my driver. Usually, around. I'm ahead of you, which is nice. Yeah, today you weren't. <laughs> I know. Um, but what's fascinating is they all started booing around about something, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was about the immigration policy. Oh, there you go. Because he started uh-huh. talking about the wall. Uh huh. And they started booing, and Colbert, the comedian. Turned to his audience and he said, hey, Mr. Trump, I asked to be our, my guest today, so let's treat him with respect. Wow. It was – Really? Honestly, something you don't see you late don't night. See. No, because that's big, that's their, that's their uh-huh. angle usually is, oh, it is was, we need to get the boo. It really – it was really, I thought, very impressive. I'm liking Colbert And most of them seem to be a little to the left. I don't know about yeah. um, Fallon. He seems kind of yeah. middle-ish. He seems decide. No? fairly – he almost doesn't – it doesn't no. seem like he ever talks about Sean over there stuff. is saying no. Sean's shaking Sean's his going head. no. He's very to the left. By the way, Mike Pond has morphed into Sean O'Neill. Yes. Welcome. Welcome. Why do you say is Fallon to the left? Uh, I think so. OK. I haven't watched him enough to know. That's just too late for me. He, yeah. Well, you, you go I to bed do at like, eight. I, no, not quite. I do love, though, that when he does the – the li- was it the lip syncing or I can't remember the lip sync battle? Yeah, oh, those yeah. are hilarious. Those are great. But I have I think, to watch. I have to watch them online. The did next you see day. the Ellen DeGeneres lip sync? No, oh, that was hilarious. That's incredible. With Ellen, that was hilarious. It's, see, it's Ellen on YouTube. Is hilarious. Yeah. I love Ellen. Yeah. Have you ever seen her New York thing? Or I think was it HBO from New York? Uh-uh. Oh my gosh! Is it good? I'm on the ground. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. Ellen. She she did a. She, I love hers her. Was She's so clean good. She did a mic drop. She just dropped her mic and walked off. Oh, I've got to go check that out. Someday I want to do a mic drop. Yeah. Did you, you hear? That's kind of hard to do with the arms. I know. I try to. And the, the, our mics are like connected to these crazy arms. Yeah. Hey, um, uh, Donald Trump put out on Twitter a question like, hey, ask me anything you want. Oh. Do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? Oh, for him, it's no big deal because he'll just say whatever he wants. Exactly. It was a horrible idea. Yeah. Because everyone posed some pretty crazy questions like, at midnight, hashtag ask Trump said, when you stare into the abyss... Do you see the broken shards of your attempts at human connection twinkling in the dark, bro? Oh, wow. That was That's weird. deep. That's was really that deep. a Michael Bay movie? I don't know what that was. <laughs> at Flip Your Face, uh, they asked, um, if you dig under your hair, down through your scalp, underneath the skull, is there just a bunch of orange chicken from Panda Express there? Oh, my oh, goodness. Well, that's is, a good visual. Wow. That's a great that's, visual. Yeah. I don't know that you could dig that far. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's just weird. At Jason H.G. Truitt said – so we've even got his name. Mr. Truitt said, uh, why do you think you can lead the country with so many bankruptcies that you filed? 
Oh, but according to him, mm. he has never filed bankruptcy. No. no, never. And then others were like, you know, will you protect Israel or where can I find a toupee like yours? <laughs> and then um, one of my favorites, at Market Mavs Inc., he said, if Tony Romo is out for the season, what chance do the Cowboys have of a playoff run? Not very good. I can tell you that. True. Answered by the pros. Yeah. Answered by the pros. Well, um, okay, good stuff. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll do a little coach's corner, uh, a little parenting advice, some parenting 101. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, a lot of times, you know, on the show, we talk about millennials, right? And um, we joke about them. We, we've, we've had some wonderful interviews, though, about this age group of people, 18 to 34. And what's great about being on a university, we're surrounded by millennials. And, uh, in fact, a lot of my staff, in fact, all, almost all of my staff, minus me, they're all millennials. And as a parent... We we end up struggling at times with our millennials because we don't quite know what to do with them. So for a local television show, I put together some points about raising a millennial and just some things we can do as a parent. And it, it ties in nicely with Carl Picard's uh, interview from last hour and, and which is just kind of, you know, when these kids need to kind of move on at 18 or so, and th- sometimes they get in this state of boredom and they, they need an extra push. They needed some extra insight and some help as a parent. So here are some tools, some rules, some information that we can use as parents as we're working with our children ages 18 to 34. And remember, too, when we talk about millennials, not every millennial feels like a millennial, right? They don't all associate and, and feel like they, they fit that, that age group. So we don't want to put everyone into a container. But the millennials are 18 to 34-year-olds. Here we go. First thing we could do as parents is learn to embrace their use of tech as expression and education. These kids were raised in the Internet era. These are the kids that were raised with technology. You, you know, back in my day, we had Atari. Mm-hmm. But these kids have everything tech driven really, everything really quickly what's a millennial again what we're... 18 to 34 year olds right now right now okay in 2015 and so i mean so these are these are parents too these are these this is if you're out there and you have a a child that's 30 years old they might have kids and you're still trying to relate to them because every time they come over to your house they're always using their technology there is a very uh, there's a, a movie out Coming out actually next uh, or this Friday called the Intern. Yeah, yeah, you love that. I Robert heard. De Niro plays he's he plays a seventy year old guy who goes into a an a dot com. Is he company. interning? He's interning. He's the intern. He's the intern. Holy cow! He's been in business. He was in business for forty years before oh, I love this. That. He retired. Yeah, his wife. He's a widower. But th- to see the difference between I mean, this is what you're talking about right here. Exactly. There, it's it's amazing. But remember. 
this is, I mean, so he, he goes into this generation, but this tech-friendly generation, these were the kids that we, we watched their um, ultrasounds. Yeah. And we, we, and the later ones, we put their ultrasounds on YouTube, YouTube. and our families could get to their ultrasounds. And so from the very beginning, these kids have been on camera. These kids have been expressing themselves. Every phone they have now has a camera and a video camera. There will not be a more videoed group of people than these millennials. I mean, think of how many videos you have of you as a child. None. Zero. I have. I have home movies. Yeah, maybe one home movie. Right. Yeah. But I mean, like even a home movie that they've put on a video or a CD for you now or a DVD, it's not. We don't have a lot of them. Mm-mm. These kids, we don't we don't go to a football game that we don't capture three to five minutes of new video. Well, yeah, and you consider that they count people across the country as friends. Oh yeah, oh, now yeah. everybody. If you, if just because you're yeah. connected electronically, you're a friend. I mean, the average teenager, I mean, from my kids, they have like a thousand friends. Yeah. Well, what they they say they have a thousand on Facebook, right? So these are – they're tech-friendly kids. They've been videotaped. They've been ultrasounded. They've been Instagrammed and Facebooked. Their life has always been an open book. So they're, they're more able and willing to express themselves. They also use technology as education. They, they don't take your word for anything anymore. When you say – I'm pretty sure Yogi Berra was, won eight World Series. No, 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 Dad. He won ten. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you know? Well, I, just, I, Googled, I Googled it, Dad. All you got to do is Google it. So they'll, they'll question you. But they also have extensive libraries um, of every method to learn. My, my son knows so much information about so many things that you would never want to know about. Mm-hmm. And if he's curious about anything, he's looked it up. Yeah. So as parents, we need to embrace this technology. You can hate it all you want. But you need to know this this 18 to 34-year-old generation, they love the technology because it helps them express themselves with their friends, their family. It also is a way that they see education, which means they don't necessarily buy into formal education. Why would they need to buy into formal education when they could get Stanford talks on TED.com? Yep. And so as parents, if you don't embrace technology as education and technology as, as um, a tool to help – uh, them express themselves, you're, you're probably going to lose them. Another thing we could do as parents is to learn to gently guide their passion. These are the kids that we've told could never fail. These are the kids that every one of them won a trophy. Yep. Even if they didn't perform, even if they weren't on the team very long, they'd still get a trophy. Yeah. So we've told them, these kids they're going to be successful no matter what. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of built this uh, confidence in them that maybe isn't quite warranted by their experience yet. I think the biggest difference between our generation and the millennial generation is phone books. Oh, yeah. Isn't that true? Oh, yeah. You used to have to pick up a big, oh. huge phone book oh, every, to look up yeah. a phone number for somebody or to well, research a business. And then do you remember like tearing the page out of the phone book? Yes. And then you'd go to like a, a public phone and there was yeah. like 90% of the pages are missing. <laughs> That's true. Like, what the heck? Yeah. No, that's exactly right. But these kids, they're different too because they're confident, maybe unrealistically, just because they're maybe untried and untested. Mm-hmm. But they also – they've survived a lot. They've survived 9-11. They've survived the great tsunamis, right? They've survived all of these crazy events that have happened in the world. They're survivors and they're confident. 
and they're super creative because technology allows them to be. Yep. My son the other day watched video after video after video of um, people painting um, pictures. Okay. And you can watch them. They're, and it's not Bob Ross, is it? No. It's like we used to watch Bob Ross and it took a half hour. Yeah. You can now watch Bob Ross do a painting in two minutes. Wow. But, so what we used to do on PBS for 30 minutes, you can now do – On YouTube. On YouTube two. for two minutes. But you can see every different kind of painting. Wow. And my son's like, oh, that's like faux realism. or I'm like, what? He's making up all – I thought, are you making that up? He's like, no, that's the kind of art this is, dad. Man, grow up. And that's my 18-year-old. <laughs> so we want to learn to gently guide their passion, their creativity. They're very independent-minded. They think they can do anything. And mm-hmm. honestly, with the technology, they really can. My son can put out a song on just on his computer and his piano in his room, and he can design a full-developed soundtrack – that can then go on YouTube and make him thousands of dollars. Hmm. And it can all be done, and he's been doing it since he was 16. And I'm like, wow. So their creativity, it's real. And it's a real byproduct of being raised in this age group. They're Mm -hmm. highly creative. Um, Let's take a break. Just take a quick break, come back, give you some more guidelines of how to parent your millennial. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, as the in the coach's corner today, we're just talking about raising millennials, and um, to me, they're a super gifted uh, age group and generation. Eighteen to thirty-four year olds. Again, you may not relate to it. You may not feel like you feel in. You you've, you fall into all of these categories. But uh, if you're an eighteen to thirty-four year old, or the parent of an eighteen to thirty-four year old, some of the tools we've been talking about that you might want to use as in your parenting is just, you know, recognize, understand that they they see the world a little bit differently than the rest of us. Embrace their use of tech and technology as an expression. They love to use technology to get educated. Also gently guide their passion and their creativity. This is a very creative group. They've been told their entire life they can do anything they want and they can be good at anything they want. So amazingly, they tend to be willing to try a lot. As, a, as an age group too, they love unconditionally. This is one of the most empathic ages of of population that we have. And so as parents, if they sense that we discriminate, if they sense that we aren't unconditional in our love and care of people, they're not going to relate to us very well. And so to me, it's fascinating. I've I've seen older generations uh, be corrected by my kids like, oh, grandma, grandpa, you guys can't say that. They don't say that anymore. Those are terms we don't use. And they're learning it in classes about equal rights, about discrimination, about bullying. I mean, there's a reason why the whole uh, same-sex marriage initiatives are are being passed and happening now. And one reason is because this generation of millennials are very open-minded. 
They're very willing to to see everyone as equal. These are the kids, remember, that have taken classes on discrimination and sexual discrimination. Um, and, and so they know a lot. They're also very integrated into social media, so they know kind of what's out there and what's being talked about. They also tend to be a lot more green, right? So their unconditional love isn't just for people. It's also for animals and it's also for the earth. So we've got to love unconditionally. And if they sense your love is conditional, they're going to probably pull away from you more. So be a loving, unconditional parent. It doesn't mean you, you can still have your own values, your own beliefs, and not you don't have to believe everything they believe, but love and treat people in an unconditional love. Also accept their need for freedom and space. This, of all things, this age group, they've seen how much you've worked for your mortgage. They've seen that. They've seen how much you working for the mortgage kept you from them. They don't want that. They want freedom. They want space. And interestingly, they're okay if that freedom is in your basement and your space is in your basement. They're okay with that. They just want you to accept their freedom. <clears throat> and so they don't want to be burdened by a lot of restrictions. These, a lot of times they always talk about how these, this age group, they don't want mortgages. They don't want to be held down by you know bills and mortgages. And part of that is because they truly value their life and their hobbies and their freedom. So you can be frustrated that they're not getting a mortgage and they're 35 years old and you still don't have a mortgage. Come on, son. They don't need your judgment. They just need you to understand they're a little different. They also might not be willing to go into debt to get an education because the debt might limit their freedom. So just know they're different, but they're also incredibly gifted and incredibly powerful, I think. And I think it's a, it's a great hope for the future, especially if we can just respect them and respect that they like people over things so we need to just treat them well, treat them like humans, treat them like people, and, uh, and, and keep reinforcing over and over our love and, and affirming how much we, we do value them and what they do. So, you know, again, it's a generation that may not always feel like they fit that mold that, you know, when we throw out, oh, they're millennials, but there are a lot of things that came with 9-11 and with all the technology. So love them. They're yours. You can't get rid of them and you can't put them back. So just love your kids. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, I'm going to go visit two of my own kids. Great uh, boys down at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem, find out what's going to be coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We'll be right back. the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, at this uh, point in the show, we always like to shoot it down to our good buddies there at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, and see what's going on, what's coming up on their show. Hello, gentlemen. What is up? What's up, yo? How's it going? I'm losing my voice. Oh, because you had a cold or have a cold. I do, and I did, and I'm going through that magical change. Oh, that magical change. What are you doing about it to make yourself feel better? Uh, I'm buying a whole new wardrobe. Does that help? Yeah, all right. That's, that's one way. Now, you know what I'm doing? Um, what makes me feel better in life is I'm going for a world record. 
But I need a partner. I just That's noticed it. that two friends <laughs> from Iowa State University got bored this summer. And they figured that they'd try to break a Guinness World Record. But guess which one? Hugging. The longest hug. See, this is why idle time so is of the weird. devil. 31 hours of hugging. So weird. Why? And I'm thinking we could do a little hug off. Oh, my goodness. Where you two hug. I'll get someone up here to hug. Head to head. First team out has to buy lunch for the other team. We concede. You win. Man. No, no, no. We will not participate and will not, therefore, give you lunch. <laughs> Man. You guys, I don't, I'm not feeling a lot of team spirit here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we need to agree on things. Let's not do a hug, then. Let's do, like, a donut eating contest. Now that I can okay. get excited about. Yeah, all right. But you have to... <laughs> Never mind. Um, <laughs> anywho, have you guys had a chest cold lately? No. You know what? Come up into my studio. I it bet is you'll fall have now. one. It's, it's, I ha- it's I the season. It, it is the season, and I've been locked in this room for three hours. I've got more <laughs> germs per square inch in this studio than any other studio. Does Remind your me board to stay op? away from studio too. That's Does your right. board op have a? Uh, yeah, I've yeah. actually gone through two board ops today. They're <laughs> dropping like flies. It's so sad. Uh, hey, um, guys, what's uh, what's on your show today? Just incredible. You're still doing the show, content. right? We, uh, yeah, we are. Uh, the quarterback from last year after Taysom Hill is injured, Christian Stewart, yes. will join the program. We'll also talk about if BYU beats Michigan, what does that mean for the rest of the season? Mm. Or BYU- if they lose to Michigan, what does that mean for the rest of the season? I think the question is, what does the Michigan game mean for the yeah. rest of the, the season? The result yeah, yeah, of yeah. the Michigan game, what does it mean? There's a lot at stake. <laughs> Do you know how many one loss or less seasons BYU has ever had? Um, you want to take a guess? Uh, I'll say 12. This is since 1922. One, one loss. One loss or less. So or they less. won the undefeated season, 1984, oh, okay. won the national title. I, so I would, one plus. Yeah. How many other one-loss seasons? Uh, 12. Six seasons Sean of one said loss five. My board or less. Said, oh, really? Yep, so five one-loss seasons. It's very rare. If it's BYU amazing. were to run the table, that would be incredible. They'd be in the New Year's Six conversation. That'd be a big deal, right? That's a big deal, yeah. Yeah. And they could do it. And if BYU lost only two games this year, that would be a fantastic season. It mm. really would. I think that's... If BYU went 10-3, and three, I'd still take it. 9-4, and four, I'd still take You know what I mean? You know what? BYU's I'm a good take, team, though. We'll see yeah. what they produce. I, I'm going to take anything they've got. That's cool that you're going to have Stewart on because he's going to be able to give you some good insight into taste, or to Tanner. Well, and he went to practice before the Boise State game and had a conversation with Tanner. So Did we're going to find out what took place during those moments. He was teammates with pre-LDS Mission Tanner Mangum as well. So really? He, he has great insight. Very opinionated, very insightful. That he's would gonna, be fun. He's Pre going to be versus great. versus post-LDS Mission to yep. see, you know, if he's different. Also, we've been running this uh, contest. You send us your game face, uh-huh. game day, yeah. you know, promo. We're going to announce the winner today. Oh they win BYU Sports Nation swag, mm-hmm. a Lavelle Edwards signed football. So um, announce the winner. When, when you say swag... The blue goggles, shirts. The wristband. Wristbands. Sounds like... Used I, headband from an uh, intramural game from Spencer. Oh. Hey, you guys. I want to just point something out. As a relationship expert. Mm. So I was in my car yesterday in the parking lot watching you two have lunch together. Mm-hmm. And I thought in my we head... hang out quite a bit. I know you do. And I thought in my head... That is... I, my th- I thought in my head because I couldn't think anywhere else. I thought... These two really are good buddies. 
And then I thought to myself, man, I wish I had a buddy to eat lunch with. <laughs> and then I thought maybe I could what eat with the them. world needs now. <laughs> You're always welcome to eat lunch with us, Matt. I know. Yeah. You would have We really don't welcome. go out to eat that much. I know. We're, I don't ever see we you. We brown bag it quite a bit. Well, that was... I just thought that's really cool. I mean, you're not just you're not you're not just pretend friends. Is this a, a passive aggressive way of trying to get uh, to be lunch buddies, or a sincere observation? It's kind of more just aggressive. Aggressive. <laughs> I'm asking, can I go to lunch with you? Yes, and I told you, you're yeah. always welcome. Hundred percent, man. Um, who pays? We, uh, we switch off. Yeah, we alternate. Whose turn is it next time? Yours. <laughs> oh, I can't go that week. <laughs> I'll go the next uh, week. I also thought it was neat that Jerem carries the bag. <laughs> I did, yeah. I did carry the, Listen, I'm the co-host, not the host. That's, yeah. I you know your place, don't you, Jerem? When I host, Brian Logan carries the bag. That's so great. You know what I'm saying? Man. We, uh, we, uh, in my show, we all just carry our own bag. Anyway. It's more of a team effort there, I guess. We actually never get a bag, quite honestly. Um, well, it sounds like you're going to have a great show. Always. Do. I wish I had more energy. I'm just, I'm tired. I'm sick, you know. It's the very end of your show, Get too. Get feeling better so that you can pay for us to go eat lunch. I would love to. And, tu- <laughs> you know, tuberculosis takes it out of you. Okay. <laughs> but come visit me in the studio. I'm actually not allowed to leave anymore. I'm in okay. quarantine. Okay, About gentlemen. T- it looks like HR got my email. We'll yeah, they talk to- you through the window. <laughs> they got your email. Yeah, I'm the man in the bubble. Good luck, gentlemen. Have a great show. <laughs> See you, Bubble Boy. Good, good stuff. <laughs> Holy cow. Now I'm Bubble Boy. They really do. They have a good relationship. That's cool. Sean, we never go to lunch. Why don't we ever go to lunch? Because I'm working. <laughs> good point. I, I work. That's a great point. I'm working when you're going to lunch. That's so true. I've already been on the air. so I'm, I, there's mean, a, there's like, a, I have a live show on at 1 o'clock, and right. so I've, I'm preparing for the live show. Yeah. Man. It's almost like they don't want us to go to lunch, Sean. I know. It's like they've scheduled us. At different times. <laughs> Yogi Berra passed away. He had some of the greatest quotes. Oh, the You're a best. baseball fan. I'm a Yogi Berra fan. What's, what's, your, what's your favorite memory of Yogi Berra? Uh, it's the Deja Vu one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he always had great interviews with like Carson, do you remember? And, mm-hmm. and David Letterman even. Uh, here's a few of his other great quotes. Never answer an anonymous letter. Yeah. It's <laughs> great. It's great advice. We made too many wrong mistakes, he said once. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can observe a lot by watching. <laughs> he was just, yeah, I don't know. Wouldn't he be a great guy to meet? Oh, I, would, I wish I could have really met him. That would have been fabulous. Um, he said of Sandy Koufax, I can see how he, Sandy Koufax, won 25 games. What I don't understand is how he lost five. What a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know who Bill Dickey is? No. Bill Dickey is learning me his experience. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> the future ain't what it used to be. <laughs> it gets, it, he said, it gets late early uh, out here. It does. <laughs> Baseball is 90% mental. The other half is physical. <laughs> and he would, he'd tell his guys to go when he's telling them to go warm up. He'd say, okay, pair up in threes. Yeah. It's awesome. Honestly, again, you lose a guy like that and you wonder, so who's the next athlete to replace Yogi Berra? I mean, he's more than an athlete. He was a... I, I forgot this one. What? But if you come to a fork in the road, take it. That's right. I love that. <laughs> oh, that is funny. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, I can't do that one. 
Anyway, great guy. <laughs> Take it with a grin of salt. <laughs> a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to this. Uh, the towels were so thick, I could hardly close my suitcase. There you go. <laughs> He's stealing towels. <laughs> It ain't the heat, it's the humility. How about, here you go. Always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. Kathy had that one earlier. Anyway. Oh, gosh. <coughs> Yogi Bear, sorry to cough. I have a cough button, but I was so uncoordinated I couldn't pull it. Um, again, Pope uh, Francis is in uh, D.C. today. Really, I think you're going to feel it's different because it's very rarely that you have somebody that can – can kind of humble and put at neutral all of our politicians. Oh, yeah. But it's it's beautiful to see a man that is so willing to give and and care. I don't think our politicians know how to act around him. No, they don't. Well, I mean, and some of them are still going to offend him, which just scares me to death. <laughs> you don't offend the pope because well, you know, there's there's no accounting for Vice President Biden, but that's I know he was so giddy, and <laughs> he I just love, says things whenever they come to his I mind. Know. I, think. I love um, seeing President Obama introduce his family. That was beautiful. Yeah, Did was. you see that? Yeah, it's just special, and because everyone, you know, it's rare you get to meet the Pope, and your daughters, your teenage girls, get to meet the Pope, and then mm-hmm. your mother-in-law. Did you see that? Yeah, that's his, cool. His mother-in-law. He introduces his mother-in-law to the Pope. I thought it was fabulous. He got into a Fiat fi- Fiat five hundred. Wasn't that amazing? In, in the motorcade, yeah. it is the weirdest looking thing in the motorcade. Oh. Well, and I was just saying earlier that I'm pretty sure sales for Fiats are going to go crazy. Oh yes, they will. And I'm assuming it's Italian car, and that's, it is an Italian car. He's used to riding uh, in it. When I lived, I lived in Italy for a couple of years, and yeah. those those were and those were the everyday worker cars. Though they, it's they, a it's a 500 cc engine. So it's like a motorcycle engine in a car. Yeah, they're tiny. We always joke that we could use them as a carry-on in a on the airplane. Yeah, and I've ridden in a in one or two. But he's the everyday. Oh. He's the everyday. Although he had the person, I think pump. he had the four door version. Yeah, he did. Yeah, they had to get security in there. Exactly. But I'm thinking, how much, how fast can that get with these big security guards in there? Yeah, I don't know. He's beautiful. He got out of that car, by the way, and he turned. You can kind of tell there was a difference between his security guard and the Secret Service. Yeah, and. But you, he turned to one of his security guards, and I'm assuming it was probably a Secret Service guy that he didn't seem to know very well, and he shook his hand. And I'm like, you're thanking the guy that got you safely to your residence. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. He, he, is, he is a humble, he humble is a man. humble man. Man, I love that. So he's my hero of the day, and uh, also another hero of the day. We always like to end with a hero story. A 17-year-old Stephen Presley of Pensacola, Florida. Now imagine the surprise when the top runner uh, in your high school team, your cross-country athlete, dropped $500 of his own money to buy all of his teammates' running shoes. After scrimping and saving every penny he could for a car, Presley, instead of buying the car, he spent the money on new shoes for 11 athletes on his cross-country boys' team. Presley didn't know he was uh, going to buy that many shoes when he walked into the store, but he knew he wanted to do something different with the money. Presley's coach said there were some boys on the team who couldn't afford nice running shoes. The coach said the 11 boys are all very close. Presley even says they're like family to him. Hoping uh, that his actions would inspire selflessness in his team, he took the underclassmen and uh, gave them their shoes and hoped that they would step up, take responsibility, and be leaders when the seniors were gone. After Presley had saved up the $700, his brother decided 
to help his sibling out by handing him his Honda Civic, and then he, that made it so Presley could use the money and uh, go buy his team some shoes. So, to you, uh, Stefan Presley, 17-year-old kid looking after the rest of his team, you're the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. I honor you, my friend, and all of you out there who are taking care of each other. Really, it doesn't have to be 700 bucks or 500 bucks. Sometimes it's just a smile and taking care of each other. That's the show, my friends. Until tomorrow, make it a great one, and we'll be back tomorrow.